Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Tim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Happy Friday morning and welcome to Weekly Weights episode 61. We're going to be continuing the Programming The series with Programming The Bench Press. And by the way, I'm Alex Hayes and with me is Will. What's up? See how I let you introduce yourself that time? Yeah, I know. I'm actually, I'm stoked. You're with age, maturing and starting to take on feedback well. And it's nice that you're looking out for my feelings. Like a fine wine. Like a fine wine. That said, your criticism of me last week, you still haven't taken on board. Remember you said, oh, it's so stupid that we introduced the episode by saying what the episode is because it's in the title. I agree. Yeah. But anyway, it is programming the bench. We should anyway, do a surprise episode one time. Just like, like Weekly Weights episode 62 and it's just question marks. Question marks, yeah. And then they open it and it's something really shit no one wants to hear about. <laughs> like bench. <laughs> we just post that old episode see if anyone notices. Yeah, repost. That'd be sick. Um, it is, yeah, it is programming the bench. What up? I'm Will. With me is Alex. And Come. when you're listening to this, we're going to be recording with Mike Isretel. Yeah, how so wild you, is that? If you see this podcast is up and then you also see that we're talking to Mike Isretel, you're going to have to wait a week to talk to hear us talk to Mike Isretel. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Or possibly wait a week yourself to talk to Mike Isretel because he's going to be at that ultimate evidence-based conference thing. Maybe he'll come watch some powerlifting. Possibly. Unlikely. Very unlikely. Wilkes wouldn't like that. He'd be like, eh. Maybe we, should, maybe we should invite him. <laughs> yeah, that'd be sick. We'll ch- anyway, we're going to chat to Mike, but in the meantime, we're going to chat to you about Bench. And in the more immediate meantime, two points of order. Alex, I told you I had two good jokes for the podcast today. Let's go. They're pretty bad. I'm, so, I'm excited. <laughs> I was thinking today about new podcast ideas for myself. I want to branch out. Um, I've outgrown weekly weights. First one was a Christian, heavily theological-based podcast called The Godcast. What do you think? <laughs> Hosted by Tom Clark. Hosted, yeah, co-host Tom Clark, who actually tells me tells me what's up with religion. And then the second one, this one I thought you might actually like. I started a podcast with Little Wayne, the Pod Carter. Remember how his albums were called, like the Carter Chronicles or some shit like that? Lil Wayne? Yeah? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you don't like that one I as don't much like as it. the Godcast? No, the Godcast is good. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, TC, get back to me if you want to co host the Godcast with me. Anyway, meantime, <laughs> programming the bench. We're going to follow the exact same format as the squat. The good thing about the bench, unless Alex disagrees enormously, is that the principles are not enormously different, but there's probably some differences in the subtlety of how we go about it. So we might not spend quite as long on this one. But we won't know until we get started. So let's get started. Yeah, so I think the first thing to note, and I said said this uh, two weeks ago in the squat episode, is that the squat kind of lies in the middle of the continuum for all of the variables that we um, change around when we train. Mm -hmm. So frequency, volume, intensity, they're the main ones. So the squat kind of lies in the middle, the bench press lies on one end and the deadlift lies on the other end. So we'll be going into why that is now. Sure. So our first overarching question um, that we structured these around is what phase specific changes do we typically make in the balance of the training variables? Um, We'll go variable by variable and talk about what things we change over the course of a training cycle, starting with the frequency with which we bench press. Alex, what have you got for us? So... I've written two to five sessions for bench um, overall, and that's going to change based on which phase we're in. 
So hypertrophy, um, two to three sessions of pressing and two being evenly distributed higher volume sessions. And if there is a third, and there often isn't a third, but if there is a third, it's generally some sort of a technical um, focus, whether that's just like light competition bench or whether it's tempo bench or whatever. Um, and if it is just two, it, they'll be evenly split higher volume sessions in that hypertrophy block. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, pretty much. In hypertrophy, what I wrote is usually two overloading sessions. So they're the high volume ones. Um, and then I said possibly one to two additional ones that are either slightly lower volume. So that might be, um, actually I'll get into that a little bit later, but that might be for me something like three or four sets of incline, but no more pressing on a day or technique work. Um or possibly one of each in some instances. Um, and yeah, increasingly, I would make one day, instead of pressing, I would just make it purely reach-based stuff. Um, and when we talk about reaching patterns, if you don't know what we're talking about, you should listen to the episode we did with Jamie Smith on the shoulder. Do you remember what number that was? In the 40 40s. 40-something, 48, I think. Somewhere in the 40s, check out Jamie Smith's episode. But yeah, for me, it's usually two higher volume sessions. Plus or minus one to two lower volume sessions that are either technique based or top up stuff in another plane. Um, um, if I do have a female who is particularly <laughs> slender in the upper body, I will give her um, up to four overloading sessions of bench, but mm-hmm. it'll be spread out and the variations will change, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, but other- sometimes we, uh, particularly females, they can recover from more, so there's no reason why we can't. Um, throw in more on a separate day so something that I wrote down under frequency was that I actually I tend to do very limited paused bench work in a block that I consider like just a hypertrophy block so when I don't have when I don't have a comp coming up soon Um, so maybe in the actual loading days I'll have one to two sets on one or both of them um, and then most of the work being touch and go so a very common thing for me would be a top set paused of five ish um, f- which wouldn't be normally very hard and then follow that with you know three to four more sets of like anywhere between five and ten touch and go bench um, is that something that you would do as well yeah but I think you're jumping forward a bit to so, variations so oh yeah I guess so but um, but, yes. but when I consider frequency it's actually not even comp bench when it's touch and go like it's essentially comp bench yeah but when paused. when I say frequency of of bench I mean frequency of some sort of pressing pattern yeah and that could be and we'll get to this incline, overhead press, yeah. dumbbell work, touch and go bench, feet up bench, whatever, or yeah. pause bench. Yes. So what I what I would tend to do in hypertrophy to sum up, um, and sounds like Alex agrees, is I'd have my two main overloading days, which are going to be similar to normal bench presses, so comp style benches plus or minus some changes in you know things like grip width or whatever. Um, main loading days are almost always flat for me. Um, with possibly additional pressing in a different plane. And then if I have a third day of pressing that's hypertrophy-based, that's usually pressing in a different plane. Um, And I consolidate most of my accessory work to the two main overloading days when it's just hypertrophy training. Sound all about good to you? Reasonable. Reasonable. Um, What about in general strength days? So I've written two to four. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason for the extra is, again, the extra practice. Um, because bench is the of the three lifts, the one that we can recover from the most because it's the shortest range of motion. 
involves the smallest muscles and the weights we are lifting are the lightest, we can get away with doing a little bit more and we can get away with doing it a little bit more frequently. But that doesn't mean we need to overload necessarily more frequently. It may just be extra technical practice. So in these strength phases, we are starting to bring in more competition variations. So we can afford to throw in additional days of pressing. Um, if but if it is as few as two, then those two again are going to be the two overloading days. And if mm-hmm. there's a third, then that third day will become the easy one. And then a fourth, again, another easy one. Yeah, basically agree. Um, I wrote that I usually increase the frequency of paused bench. I know you say that comes under variation, but if I'm talking purely about comp style benching, almost always I'm going to pause at least on two days a week once I get into a general strength phase. Mm-hmm. Whether or not whether or not both of them are the overloading days or one is an overloading day and one's technique day, I get people in the practice of pausing because usually those strength phases come somewhere in a transition to preparing for comp. Um, so yeah, usually do that. And then I'll still include things like grip modifications, pressing in some different planes. Um, and I also, in the general strength phases, I make sure the accessory work is consolidated again. So while I might have people pressing on more total days, just like Alex said, where there are days that are purely technique-based, I very rarely have any additional pressing work there. The additional pressing work lands on the days that are meant to be harder pressing days. Is that the same for you? Mm-hmm. So also for this phase, I've written generally one of the harder days out of the two will be the comp-specific one. And then um, if there are a third or a fourth days, then one or, one or two of those will be comp-specific. But if we have, say, three bench days, they won't all be competition-specific. So give what's phase. an example layout... Um, like do an example layout. So say it's three days of pressing. Do an example layout of what it might look like in hypertrophy and then in a strength phase. So in hypertrophy, the the day one for me is always the light day. Mm-hmm. So following squats. So in hypertrophy, if there is that day, and this is probably only the case for less than half of my lifters, mm-hmm. um, it is probably either a competition um, specific press for sets of three to four. So easy sets Very of easy sets of three to four in the 70 to 75% range, 65, yep. 75% range. Um, and then the next day will be the biggest pressing day. So in a hypertrophy block, it, we're probably looking at touch and go eight to 12 reps, mm-hmm. um, potentially grip modifications or feet up. And then on the other day is going to be the um, another variation. So maybe we start with an incline and then we go to flat dumbbells or something. Okay. So for me, in a hypertrophy phase... I'm not going to do it with reference to a weekly layout, but I would say my main bench day, or I'll do it more or less in order. My main bench day would normally be like, you know, comp grip, touch and go, something like that, just getting some volume work done. My second main benching day will be something similar. So either touch and go in a different rep range or like, you know, change of grip or something like that, but still pretty similar to competition bench. And then if I had a third pressing day, the barbell movement might be an incline one or it might just be some dumbbell work or something. And then on those first two days, I might have, in a hypertrophy phase, I might also have things like flies or push-ups or, you know, some dumbbell pressing and things like that. So sort of similar. But for me, it goes, yeah, two compish ones, one with a little bit more, um, a little bit less specificity. I was going to say a little bit more not specificity. A little bit, a little bit less more specificity, if you know what I mean. Um, what about in a strength phase then? So you've said you go you go easy day, main day, secondary kind of main day in a hypertrophy phase. Is that layout the same for strength? Yeah, it will be the same, but the specificity will um, in, 
increase. We'll go closer to what we do in competition. So that main day will become competition pause. Mm-hmm. Um, that secondary day might be the what the main day was in the last phase. So we might go to touch and go on that secondary day. Okay, or it might be sense. a feed up on that day. And then that, again, that first technical day could be some sort of tempo or spotto in your instance, but I don't really like to use that. Um, or just light competition work again. Sure. So again, more or less agree. I very commonly have people benching four times in the strength phase. So were that the case, it would be pretty much the same as Alex with the two main overloading days. And then the technique stuff is just per the needs of the person, whether it's a tempo or a long pause or a spot, it doesn't really matter. Yep. Um, or possibly in some instance, I'm, I might have the exact same layout as what Alex just said and a fourth day of not pressing but reaching stuff which I still think of in my head as bench-like, even though it's not really bench-like. Um, that might be something else that would occupy that slot. What about peaking? So I've written three to five bench sessions. So I don't think anyone I coach will ever bench less than three times during a peaking phase. And um, I do like to keep things as comp-specific as I can, but sometimes this isn't always possible because you know if we have a lifter who has a huge arch... Um, they're putting their they're putting their body under a bit of stress getting into that position and it's kind of a lot of effort to get in that position. So if you're if they're doing five sessions, for instance, it might not be best to get them to do five sessions with full arch and composers and everything like that. So in that instance you might keep a feet up for two of those. Um, or you might do like a moderate arch. Or even you might do like a, a board bench so that they don't have to arch as much. Yeah, so I it's funny you said they'll almost never do less than three times. The first thing I wrote after peaking was usually three times a week minimum of pressing. Um, I do think what you said about um, about sort of accommodating how stressful it is for them to arch is really important. Um, and I kind of think of peaking very similarly to general strength when I program bench. Um, where the way bench the way I peak bench as opposed to the squat and deadlift, is much more abrupt. Um, and this is something, I want to say it's an article on Stronger by Science. I'm, in fact, I'm almost certain it is. They were talking about tapering strategies for powerlifting on there, and they were saying that, um, you know, I, th- I think it was them that said this. Anyway, that a very abrupt taper seems to work very well for people when they bench. I tend to carry a decent amount more volume and variety into the taper for bench than I do for the other two lifts. Um, I still do start to reduce, start to reduce some loading and sort of, you know, build in some more rest and things as the taper goes on. But I pretty much treat it like a general strength phase, just with slightly higher weights. And I chop away at the non-specific work, so I, so I'll get rid of a lot of the accessories and things like that. Get people mostly benching almost always with pauses. Like I rarely keep touch and go in for someone's peak. I've done that for, um, for JP. Shout out JP for this nationals because it seemed to have been helping for so long. But that's a rare thing for me to do. So basically move towards specificity, but still keep a couple of variations of the movement in just to sort of keep them ticking along happily and otherwise program it like general strength pretty much always with three times a week. Yeah. yeah. So I've written the three examples of um, different frequencies and how I would structure the days around them. Yeah, please. So for three sessions a week, it would be one hard, one moderate, one easy. Yep. And that would be in the order of easy, hard, moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was four sessions a week, it would still be one hard, two moderate, and one easy. Mm-hmm. And then for five sessions, it would be one hard, two moderate, and two easy. One hard, two moderate, two easy. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
So probably the only way in which I would differ is when I do four times a week for people, I some I will sometimes go like one hard, two easy, one moderate. But I guess it depends where you draw the line between moderate yeah, it and depends hard. what you consider easy to be, yeah. Yeah, because could, I could just as easily describe that as too hard, too easy, and one hard is just slightly harder than the other hard, if you know what I mean. Because mm. when I say hard, it's still mostly RPE 8 stuff. So it's like, you know, genuinely tough work, but not like balls to wall. Yeah, so the, the way that I like to structure my peaks for bench is actually my moderate day I use as like a singles and doubles practice day. Okay. And that might be like up to five singles and then up to five doubles. So it's like, it's... It's relatively higher intensity, but it's not high effort per set necessarily. Yeah, we're doing singles like below, pretty much below your opener the whole way through. Yep. Up to five of them on mm-hmm. the same session. And right. then backing off and doing doubles and triples for, again, really light, but mm-hmm. it's lots and lots of practice. And on the, on the harder day, you might do one or two singles, um, ramping all the way up to a second attempt. Yep. Um, with back offs in the two to four rep range. And the two to four rep range back offs will be what similar loading to the singles on your other day. That's lots of practice, or slightly probably lighter even lighter than that. But working up to um, just below an opener for doubles in the end. Okay, and so, for smaller females and smaller men, an opener or maybe even just above for doubles. Okay, so it's still challenging, but not yeah. not super duper. Um, and then the easy day again is like second or third last warm up weights for doubles and triples. So I tend to put some singles in both of my harder days during a bench peak, but one of those days the singles progress, you know, past an opener up to a second-ish, maybe above. Um, And the other day tends to be somewhere between last warm-up to an opener, and then by the end of the peak they might be handling their opener on that day for, you know, a couple of sets of one, but the other day is actually hard. And then the back-off work is also just sort of commensurately easier on that day. But it's still in the moderate range. So if on one day you're doing four sets of three, the other one you might be five or ten percent lighter doing four sets of four. So it's still, you know, it's still appreciably difficult work, but it is just a little bit lighter. Um, and because the singles aren't as heavy, it's you know, it's slightly easier. And then my easy days are a you know, big significant step down. Um, I don't have much more to say on that. Do you? No. Well, let's move let's on jump to into intensity. Volume was next. Volume. Well, hmm. I mean, we can do intensity first. No, it's okay. I, I just wanted to keep the exact same layout as the squat one. I don't know where you got this planning document, but... Well, this is actually the original notes that I sent you, so obviously you butchered my notes. I didn't read your notes, I'm going to be honest. I thought they were trash, and I just said I'll write I my I literally own. didn't write notes, I wrote headings. Oh, okay, well, that's why you I... You obviously ordered. shifted them all. Yeah, no. Okay, that's, let's do volume. I want you to be happy. Bastard. <laughs> let's do volume. Go on, then. Did we do volume first last, last time? Nah. Doesn't matter, let's do volume. Alright, you go first. <coughs> okay, volume. So in hypertrophy, um, in hypertrophy phases, I'll do usually six to ten sets of barbell benching. And then I wrote eight to twelve plus additional sets of chest work slash pressing. And then usually another four to eight sets of direct triceps on top. Um for m- I'll actually I'll add the next points after because I want to see how our numbers line up, but I actually the the big point for me of how this differs from squats is that I probably do a little bit less of the total package of volume with the competition movement for a lot of people when they bench press for pretty much the same reason why Alex was saying doing always competition bench in a peak can be hard. Um, just because doing a full setup bench plus or minus with pauses can be 
a taxing and I want to say inelegant way of getting lots and lots of pressing volume in when you can just have somebody do you know three to five sets of that on one to two days a week and then heaps of dumbbell pressing um but what do you reckon Alex so I said six to ten sets of barbell benching eight to twelve plus sets of additional chest work and pressing and then you know four to eight sets of arms on top I haven't written in numbers for arms Mm -hmm. but I've written six to twelve sets of barbell benching yep and six to twelve sets of accessory pressing so what's our top end total you've got if you did the top end of both 24 yeah and bottom end of both is 12 12 so my bottom end of both is 14 and my top end of both is 22 so we're somewhere we're very similar yep um and six to 12 sets of barbell benching i've said six to ten it's really close to the same yeah so we're we're looking at um reps between six and ten for the main work Mm-hmm. Very, very rarely below six, particularly for the movements that are aimed at hypertrophy. But when we do have those third pressing days in, it might be tempo or long pauses or just competition bench, we probably will dip below six reps. But those, again, those those sessions aren't focused on hypertrophy, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, and then for the accessory work, um, anywhere from eight to 15 reps. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I've I've written that under intensity, but yeah, pretty much agree. Um, so the next point I made was what I said before that people will normally do a higher proportion of non-specific bodybuilding work than for the squat, partly because it's easier to set up, um, than doing just bench. And also, um, I, I think that doing things like dumbbell bench is like slightly more specific to the bench than something that would be analogous is for the squat. So say like Like a a, leg press. Yeah. Like a leg press doesn't carry over to the squat quite as much as a dumbbell press carries over to a bench. Would you agree? You think like, as in there, they serve a similar role in the program, but they're just one step less specific again. I think I, I would say that they're even as far as carryover. Well, like leg press is open chain, right? You're kicking your legs out in front of you. Your body's planted on the floor. Um, and a squat is closed chain. You're pushing against the floor. Whereas like you know, a dumbbell bench, you're essentially doing the same thing as a barbell bench. You're just holding something different. You know, don't think so. Oh, look, I don't know if that's ever weighed into my thinking until I started writing this and thought, why do I do what I do? But, but... Who am I? Yeah, exactly. Who am I? Why do I do this? But yeah, I'm I'm happy enough to see a little bit more of the work shifted to non-specific stuff. And I also think that it's just easier to achieve like long ranges of motion and things like that with dumbbells than it is with a barbell if somebody does a full setup. So even when we do the barbell work, one of the reasons I say you know, feet up, mid-grip and stuff is to actually get people pressing over long ranges of motion so that they don't have to handle as heavier loads and go through a full setup and do all that rigmarole for the bench. Um, I also said that my volume tallies above may or may not (laughs) include some overhead work because I consider, like, things like barbell overhead presses as part of my pressing volume, Um, although it's less specific again. So would you consider that part of your bench pressing volume if you put in overhead press? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Then we agree on that. And then I also wrote, I did a little breakdown of the days. I wrote on my main loading days, there'd normally be six to 10 sets of pressing. So an example might be three to four sets of barbell bench. You know, say we're doing touch and go, you might do four sets of six to 10, um, three to four sets of not barbell. So say it was dumbbell stuff, three sets of eight to 15 or something. And then maybe two sets of a fly or something like that, plus or minus triceps. And then if I did have that third loading day we spoke about, back in frequency that would be just three to four sets of one type of press only and then no additional stuff is that similar to you yeah very similar um all right what about in a strength phase then uh similar similar number of total sets for um barbell benching but then less 
for um, accessory work. Yeah, I said the same. I said 10 plus sets of barbell benching is really common. That's including easy work. Um, and then I would do six to 10-ish sets of non-barbell stuff and then another three to eight sets of direct triceps. So when I say 10 sets or more of barbell benching, if we have, say it's, let's say it's three loading days just to make it easy. If we had one day where we had a top set and then four back off sets and then another loading day, which is, you know, just four sets straight, that's already nine sets of barbell benching and then one more technique day of like four sets. Suddenly you're at 13 sets of benching, although only nine of them are hard. And then, yeah, on those two main days, I'd have another, you know, three to five sets on each of them of some type of accessory press. Maybe, you know, maybe on one of them I'd have five and one I'd have three or something like that. That'd be similar to you? Yeah, I've written eight to 15. Sets um, of accessories? No, no, for um, barbell benching, eight oh, okay, to 15 sets yep. and four to 10 sets for accessory pressing. So eight would be on for the rare person who only does two days? Is that Yeah. Yeah, and then 15 is if you're like four to five days where you're pressing on all of them for a few sets. Even like a three-day layout, you could justify 15 sets yeah well at one stage you had me doing i think six or seven sets of actual comp bench followed by three sets of like close grip to a board or something so that ended up being nearly 10 sets before i'd even left the bench press you know on one day yeah and not all of them were hard necessarily but like as in that's 10 sets of benching yeah if i look back at what i was doing three weeks ago Mm -hmm. um first day of the week was four sets of um tempo bench mm-hmm. was tempo no long pauses yeah then the next day was two top sets and then seven by five yeah so that's nine Jeebus, yeah and then the next day was tempo bench for, for four sets yeah and then 13. the last day was um six doubles or six singles or something like that so 19 sets of bench yeah but not all of them are hard that's yeah, i think mo- that's the important most takeaway. of them are easy yeah yeah um in fact i I suspect that, like, everybody says that bench bench can handle more volume than squats and deads and things. And to a degree, I think it's true for the range of motion reasons and stuff like that. Um, and, like, the absolute loads that you live for reasons. But I also think one of the big things is that a lot of our competition-style benching that we do isn't truly that hard. And were it to actually be very hard, then the volume numbers would come much, much closer because like I've had people where I've written hypertrophy style routines for them where they've had really similar amounts of pressing volume to leg volume and their chest has grown really, really well, you know, because I've been having them do a lot of sets close-ish to failure, maybe like 12 to 14 sets across a whole week, you know, whereas if I'd made them do 20 plus sets close to failure of pressing across a week, I reckon they'd have just not been able to progress. What would, do you think? Would, do you really think that per set, the bench sets are easier than squat sets, for instance? In the programs? Like, as far as right? like... RPE, like obviously systemic fatigue is, is different. Like you're going to, it's going to feel harder doing a heavy squat versus a heavy bench set. But well, do you think that like, do you actually think that the RPE of the average bench set is actually lower than the RPE of an average squat or deadlift set? Because I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. I, I would actually know. say that it's probably higher. I don't know, but there's, some, this is, yeah, I don't know. It probably isn't. It probably is, if any. No, it's probably easier, particularly when you start 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 accounting for the like the easy days, how super easy they are. Like my easy squat days feel harder than my easy bench days almost always. 
Um, and I think that contrast accounts for something. But on the, no, on the main loading days, it'd be really similar. I guess the um, average set, the average set is kind of skewed because you're going to have it spread out over more days, and there's going to be more really easy sets for the bench than there would be for the squad of the deadlift. Yeah, I don't know. As there is something different. I certainly don't think if all sets that you did in the whole program were taken to failure, that the difference would be anywhere near as big as they are in the way that we design programs. Do you agree with that premise? Say it again. If every set that we did in our programs for bench for for everything mm. that you do was taken to failure do you think the discrepancy in volume that you would have to prescribe for your legs and for your chest would be as big as it is now not sure yeah well that's what that's why i say not sure i suspect it would narrow i think the difference i think your upper body would benefit from a very little bit more volume um and actually, I, th- I want to say that this is from research. Certainly something that people have said anecdotally, that they think the legs handle higher volumes than the upper body when you, you want to go for growth. This is something I spoke to Luke about on, um, on the podcast we did about volume when you were in the States over Christmas. Where were you? States. States. Yeah, um, when you were in the States. Um, I think that's actually been borne out in research. But the reason I think that's the case is because people are less inclined to go to failure on leg work because it's really, really hard, costs a lot of energy per set, and people are kind of bitches and they're less well-trained in the legs. Like, if you get people who are only moderately trained for research purposes, they're certainly better trained in the upper body than the legs almost always, right? Well, males especially. Yeah, males especially. So, in that case, I think it's I think the difference is actually because of proximity to failure to a degree because I don't think the legs need more volume than the upper body to grow. That doesn't make sense. Um, but then you go and speak to really well-trained people and they say the upper body probably needs more volume. And if you look at Greg Knuckles' analysis on frequency, he did a, he did like a, a meta-analysis that's uh, posted on Stronger by Science again um, about training frequency and he found that that pressing seemed to have some benefit, like f- seemed to get some benefit from greater frequencies for strength gains. Um Partly that might be because people are slightly better trained. Partly it might be because of all the things we've said about range of motion and the weights you handle. Partly it might be because it's slightly more technical. Um, where was I going with that thought? Were you listening to anything I just said? I was listening, but I don't know where you were going. Um, but um, oh, but anyway, but that the fact that they probably benefit from higher frequencies also suggests that probably their total weekly volume that you benefit from will be slightly higher. But I honestly think that that was everything taken to failure in your entire program, the discrepancy would be small. I reckon it would be, you know, in the realms of like 10, 15% of the total volume you do across your program. Whereas the way we tend to, the way you and I tend to write programs, the discrepancy is much higher, right? Are, are you saying volume including taking load and range of motion into consideration? No, 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 no. I'm purely just, just talking about just hard sets. sets. Just, yeah, just hard sets. Like as in, I reckon if you took every set to failure, the amount of bench you would have to do to maximally develop, as opposed to you know equivalent relative relevant uh, relative loading to failure, the amount of bench you would have to do as opposed to squats, probably not that much more fifteen percent twenty percent or something. But do you think that is because the lo- the loads are lighter and the range of motion is smaller? That I'm not sure. That's my point. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I don't think I don't think it's as big as it's made out to be. But because we don't do all of our sets to failure, bringing us all the way back to your anecdote about doing 19 sets of bench a week, 
because nowhere near all of our sets are that hard. We can handle a whole lot more. And possibly, possibly I'm going to bring them both together. And this is literally just me brainwaving, so nobody write this down like it's smart. Possibly the, the amount of fatigue that you accrue with bench sets, like proximal to failure, is similar to squat sets that are proximal to failure or like at failure. But that the drop off in like if you do a bench set at RPE nine, it's not as taxing as a squat set at RPE nine. A bench set at RPE eight's even less, less taxing, or even more less taxing than a squat set at RPE eight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I think another another reason why um, we can get away with more bench volume than um, squat or deadlift volume is because the bench doesn't interfere with the other two like the other two do with each other yeah big time so the we have to be a little bit more careful when we program the squat and the deadlift because they interfere with each other mm. so if you do an extra set of squats you may have to remove an extra set of deadlifts on the next day yeah versus like if you're just doing bench it really only interferes with bench yeah can we just interrogate my idea further um, anecdotally so if I did let's say I do a set of squats to true failure like RPE 10 set of 8 squats and so rested like 215 yeah well, yeah, probably um, if I rested 5 minutes how many sets how many reps do you reckon I can get at 215 like and I'm not saying like I'm a tough guy I could get heaps like I'm actually so wait you, did, you do 215 I for do 8 215 and for 8 and you have 5 minutes 5 minutes then 7 or 6 or 7 I don't reckon I reckon I'd be way less I'd be 4 to 5 at like death and my back would probably give out like Honestly, I don't think I could do anything close to eight. After five minutes, if it was true failure, I'm talking like couldn't stand up with the Oh, ninth. like, not like you stopped at RPE 10, you actually missed. Yeah, like couldn't stand up with the ninth, I reckon, yeah, four reps. So. Okay, yeah, that's, that's yeah. reasonable. Okay, and if I did the same with bench, it'd only be a little bit different. I reckon I'd, you know, say I did 100 for eight. <laughs> say, say I did something pathetic for eight, right? And then I rested five minutes. I reckon where I to go again, I'd have a similar rep drop off. But now let's now let's do it differently. Say I do that same set, two hundred and fifteen kilos, and I do stop it like an objective RPE eight. So I do it for six. Rest five minutes to match that same RPE. I reckon I'd lose a rep or two. Like I'd probably do two fifteen for four, and it would feel like an eight. Or if I did six, it would be like that's truly close to a ten, right? But were I to get that same bench load that I failed with and do an eight in five minutes time, I could probably do that again and it would be an 8.2. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, and whether that's because of systemic fatigue, whether it's because of the energy expended during the set, I don't think that's the issue. Um, or the muscles that are involved or whether it's got something to do like with psychological arousal because you hold a weight on your back when you're squatting and it's like, oh, fuck. You know, this is really scary and my spine needs to I think more things give out quicker with a squat because there's more supporting things. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It could just be purely protective. It could be like, oh, hey, I don't want to have this much weight sitting on my spine for that long. And like those muscles start to fatigue and then you get this inhibitory response that says, I'm not going to push really hard with my legs. Let's abort this task. I reckon it's probably a better example if you were to say like pendulum squat where it's just your legs mm -hmm. and there's no like supporting, there's no brace, there's not much bracing, there's no, you know, forearms aren't going to cramp and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Versus, and a machine chest press versus the power lifts. Well, what do you think would be different about that? I reckon my pendulum squat, my repeat performance would still, would still be worse than my repeat performance would be on the machine chest press, but probably not by I as much. I think it would be more similar with the, 
isolated stuff than the comp. Yes, I think it would be more similar with the isolated than the comp. But see what I mean though, that like that the the performance decrement and fatigue that you accrue from sets that are just a couple shy of failure is just from that example, we agree is markedly different from the bench to the squat. But when they're taken to failure, it's similar. Yes. So that's that's kind of my point. But, but why, also completely know. irrelevant because we don't really want to take anything to failure. Well, no, but was I just writing a program for somebody to just get jacked and I wasn't worried about making them the best possible powerlifter and I was like, I'm just going to do this efficiently, then I'd have them get pretty close to failure most of the time and so they wouldn't have to do 25 sets of bench to grow. I'd oh, say. yeah, for sure. But yeah. I mean, we're talking about like programming the powerlifter. Yeah, but for those past five minutes, we've been talking about Will's what goes through Will's head when he's when he's thinking about bench, you know. And I thought that was just an interesting discussion. This is what keeps Will up at night. Yeah, it legit he is. lies there on his back, looking up at the stars. Yeah, going, why am I outside? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got stars painted on his roof. Okay, so so we pretty much agree. We we aborted. How did we go? We got we got we, that we discussion. Got we to got the to end of strength, strength phase. Yep. Why don't we talk about peaking volume? So I've written um, eight to twenty sets above a benching. Um, eight being very unlikely, and mm-hmm. actually, you know what? Let's change it to twelve to twenty. Yes. Okay. I would say twelve is the minimum. That's four sets on three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably as low as it gets. Um. And probably only two to six sets of hard accessory work. Mm-hmm. Um, with sets of one to four for main work and four to eight for accessory work. So I wrote six to ten ish overloading barbell sets, so hard sets, three to eight ish non overloading sets, and zero to six ish non specific pressing. Um, so I think those numbers actually jive really well because if, if you lumped all your barbell pressing together and you said, what, 12 to, 12 to 20. 20, if I lump all mine together, I'm 9 to 18, um, but most of mine's going to land right in the middle of that. Like yeah, I very nine rarely seems, do 9. Yeah, 9 seems low. 9 would be 3 sets on 3 days and that's accounting for the fact that I might drop a few sets across a peak. So it's really much closer to you, I think. Mm. Um, and 18 is, you know lots on a few days or you know a bit on a bit on a lot of days so that seems not that far different and then you said two to six accessory ones i said zero to six so um so depending at the point of the peak i might have somebody have one accessory exercise on one to two days at the start of a peak and then with two weeks to go drop one of them or drop both of them or start dropping sets um so for the last couple of weeks it's very often no accessory stuff at all and I usually only use the non-specific stuff um, for weaker lifters or females who need higher total bench volume. And that's the first thing that I begin tapering. So when I start tapering volume, the first thing I start tapering is the non-specific pressing. And then I'll usually start pulling back on the difficulty of the technique days even more. So there's more contrast. And then abruptly start pulling back on the difficulty of the main days. Um, does, that, does that jive with you as well? Yep. Uh, for the accessories, what I will tend to do is keep um, a tricep movement on one of the days and a dumbbell bench on one of the days. And that will stay until literally the taper week. Mm-hmm. And in the second last week, there'll be two sets each. The week before that, usually three sets each. Yeah. And then the week of the comp zero sets. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
So I wrote a typical layout again. I would say it'd be four to five hard sets on two days for most of the peak and then three to five easy sets on one to two additional days. And then as intensity climbs, I'd reduce the set number on the main days sometimes or sometimes leave it and do it abruptly. But the technique days might go from say like five sets of three to four sets of three and then sometimes down to three sets of three in like in the three weeks or so that they're peaking for. So those ones start to taper back volume a little bit more. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, so mine is slightly different, but on my harder day, it'll be somewhere between five and eight hard sets. Mm-hmm. And when I say hard, you know, not nothing exceeding um, probably in nine RPE. Yep. Um, and then on the on the moderate day, be again five to eight sets, uh, probably about 10% lighter than the main day. And then on that lighter, light, lightest day, the first day of the week, will be three to four sets. Okay. Probably another 15% lighter than the moderate day. And just like what you said, I said I'll preserve some additional tricep work until late in the peak for many people, but I do very, very little chest or shoulder isolation work. So if I'm going to have non-specific stuff, it's almost always a press as opposed to being like do some flies. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll pretty much cut out um, like lateral raises of flies for like when the peak starts like four weeks out yeah i don't see it having much benefit unless you're one of those people who deadlifts with no t-shirt on in which case it can be very important you want to look yoked yeah i usually throw in like the thursday friday before a sunday meet like 10 by 10 curls and lateral raises i do them in the warm-up area before before uh, final deadlift. before my last lift yeah you got it just um, do curls with um a band all right, that's all I had written down for volume. Do we? Do you want to chat about intensity quickly? Yeah, and then we'll take a break. Yeah, I'm, I'm for that. So hypertrophy phases intensity. I said that I use more moderate intensities than the squat. So if you remember the squat podcast, I said I usually start super light, partly to build up work capacity and partly because I make lots and lots of changes that make like, you know, lighter absolute loads, slightly higher relative loads. Um Whereas with bench, if I'm doing a lot of my volume touch and go, because most people find it a little bit easier, um, you don't have to quite chop away as much. Um, And because bench is maybe a little bit less taxing than the squat, you probably don't have to chop away quite as much. And do you think this is true, Alex, that most people can do a few extra reps at a given percentage on the bench than they can on a squat? Yeah, definitely. Particularly, like, there are some women who, like, bench their opener for five, you know, and then, like, well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an absurd a example, stretch, but, but, like, you know what I mean? They'll be, they'll be able to, like, bench their opener really comfortably, and then their second is, like, this is hard, and then their third's nearly impossible. Maybe that's just because the increments are a greater percentage of their of their absolute strength. But, yeah. like, but the drop-off with bench seems more abrupt, and so people can just do heaps of reps with a given percentage. Mm-hmm. So I would say they're a little bit more... Um, they're a little bit more moderate intensities than the squat. I might still start at like 65%, say, for most of their rep work, whereas in the squat, I might start at 45 to 55% or something of their of their 1RM before I start progressing from there. Does that seem about right to you? Yeah, so I've written, um, I started about 60. Yep. So for me, bench, 150 bencher. Yeah. Like that 60 would be like a feed up, touch and go sets of 10 or something like that. 60%. What's well, 60% of 150? 90. 90. Yeah. Yeah, and that like, seems reasonable. That's right? reasonable. Yeah. Um, that's still quite easy. How you do that and you feel like you've got plenty of reps in reserve. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you do five sets with relatively quick turnaround, you know, it's a workout. Yeah, but, I mean, again, transpose that to the squat. So, you're a 240-ish squatter, 60% of 240 is 144. If you did five, is it? 
240, yeah, 120, plus 24, 144. Nice. Yeah, thank you. You looked so quizzical. I was just like impressed with how quickly you did that. Yeah, well, you know, there's, I got a few anyway, tricks 144. Up my 144. <laughs> five sets of 10 of that is actually really easy. But were you to do it week one after a comp, you'd be super duper pooped, eh? Yeah, but that wouldn't, yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. No, but it probably, it would be more. But again, but that's like, that's comp squat. Yeah. I've taken the legs away and. Yeah, we'll say you had to do that high bar, exactly, beltless. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Suddenly you'd be like, oh, fuck this. To do no, this. I would not be able to do that. Yeah, it'd be really tough. So there you go. Um, yeah, so so that 60% is um, of the competition max, not of the variation that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll usually change the way that we bench in those first couple of weeks to make things deliberately harder, mm-hmm. to increase range of motion or put the shoulders under a bit more um, stress, whether it's an incline or overhead or whatever um and then that 60 percent is related to the um comp lift so it might actually end up being like 70 percent for tens of the variation we're doing yeah no um, again that seems reasonable yeah. that's not a, that's so not yeah so my really band for hypertrophy is 60 to 75 percent one rm um and you know it might actually creep up to 80 mm. for some particularly females or just guys who guys and girls who just handle bench volume well yeah, I think I think a lot of people do get some benefit from doing some reps for bench for hypertrophy that are relatively heavier than the squat. Like as in you could do some like you could do some bench hypertrophy work in the four to eight range where it were you to do like five sets of five squats for hypertrophy, you would find that taxing and tiring enough that you couldn't get through as much total leg volume in the work in the week. In the case of bench, that's less the case and it seems to transfer very well to people for people so i i think letting it creep up to 80 is fine um i'd probably spend most of my time in the 65 to 75 percent range or something but a little bit heavier is fine something i wrote down um again i need to find the citation for this but i remember seeing some research showing that there were different peak amplitudes for for the different muscles so the chest front delt and tricep in the bench press um at different relative percentages so i think they found in a sample of men that pec activation had peaked at about 70% of 1RM um, and then ch- and then a shoulder and tricep activation continued to increase past that. Um, whereas in a sample of women, that wasn't the case. It was pretty much a linear increase the whole way. I'm not really sure what the take-home of that is. So it might have been pointless to mention it on the podcast. But if there is one, it might also be that because the, because the demands because the demands of the movement change a little bit with higher intensities, it might be worthwhile having some slightly higher intensity bench pressing in to get full carryover. I'm honestly not sure. But I just thought that was a really interesting finding to say like across across the intensity spectrum, the contribution of different muscles relative to each other changes a bit. Um, yeah, don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? It's not really something that I've noticed or that I like... Well, it's certainly not something I've noticed anecdotally. Necessarily take into account when I program either. No. So... But yeah, I don't know. Probably have to think about it a little bit. Yeah, I just... I Anyway, I thought it was fascinating, so I'm going to mention it. Um, if anybody has any bright ideas, write to me. I'll be happy to hear it. Um, how about undulation of intensity in the hypertrophy phase? How much is there for you? Very little. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, it's two... If it's two sessions, it's two moderately um, similar difficulty sessions. Mm-hmm. Just They're just going to be different exercises. Um that's really that's really all I have to say there. So yeah. we're looking at similar similar intensities for similar volumes. Yeah, at, I said at similar difficulties. I said the same. Although I might undulate 
Like if I have two main loading days that are similar movements, say like touch and go and then mid-grip touch and go, one might be heavier than the other and I also might change the rep range a little bit purely for variety, which makes it look like there's undulation of load, but the difficulty of the session is the same. So it's not yeah. really... Yeah, so you might have like touch and go eights on one day and then uh, mid-grip touch and go tens on the other day. Yeah. And the mid-grip is 10% lighter than the than the regular grip because it's a longer range of motion and an extra two reps per set. But it's but just the each, Yeah, the each individual session is probably just as hard as each other. Yeah. And then the other thing I wrote down is that I might have a, a reasonable number of reps in reserve on most of my bench work, particularly in the hypertrophy phase, and then I'd let my failure proximity be higher on the non-specific work. Um, does that tend to be similar to you? Yeah, and that's just similar to uh, what we said about the squat as well. Yeah, big time. I also just think in the case of more mechanically complex movements, so remember you said like with the squat, more things can give out. Um this happens in the squats a really easy example to envisage but it happens in the bench as well when we spoke about this on the squat podcast too when like one of the muscles that's a prime mover starts to give out you get that load shifting happening so say the quads start to give out in the squat your hips shoot back your quads shoot back and you shift the load from the quads to the hips and so like you're you know you've basically reached failure or the limit i guess you should say of one muscle group already and if that's your target muscle group you probably don't need to really be doing a whole lot more reps or you can do it with slightly lighter loading and get less of that mechanical shifting happening in the bench that can happen too just as well um and because you do still want to be developing some reasonable technique and not degrading the pattern too much i'd rather have less of that happen in your bench most of the time pretty much agree entirely um what about strength phases so intensity, I've written 70 to 90. Um, and it's quite a big band there because there is a bit of a carryover between the loads that we're going to use in um, in hypertrophy and in strength. Mm. And a lot of that is that when we go into strength, things become a little bit more specific. Mm. And when you add, start adding pauses in, it gets a little bit harder, Yep. especially to complete volume. Um you know, because if you look at the weights that you do, you might do for touch and go eights, that might be similar to what you do for pause fives. Yeah, and you just spend so long under the bar doing pauses as opposed to touch and go. I mean, well, yeah, it is a bit longer. That it just feels more taxing to do five than it does yeah, to do eight. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we might start with weights that we've done prior in the hypertrophy block, mm-hmm. um, but then those are going to build up as the reps go down into the, about the 90% up to 90% range. Yeah. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree entirely with that with that rep range and one of the um one of the reasons i think going as high as 90 percent is good as well is because in strength phases i'm more likely to start including things like top sets so not only is the average intensity of the working stuff slightly higher but for the reasons i said people seem to get some carryover from some slightly heavier bench work i start putting in a little bit more um but when i do have that stuff in the higher intensity brackets i want usually even more reps in reserve than the working stuff so again similar to what we said about squats right Mm -hmm. um I usually start putting in a little bit more undulation in the strength phases. So so one session becomes the emphasized session and one becomes slightly less emphasized. We've spoken about that. Um, and then the easy days are significantly easier than the harder ones. Um, although the difference in the volume and intensity that I put across like both the two more emphasized days and also the contrast between the hard days and the easy days really depends on the person. Hey, because there's some some people who can do like two hard sessions and one session that's only really like 5% lighter and one set less or something and that's fine. 
and there's some people who like it really needs to be a massive contrast have you found that yeah absolutely um do you have much to add to those it's generally the stronger people are the greater um contrast they need in loading yeah yeah like someone like craig for instance benches about 190 like his lighter days are 65 to 70 percent i find it weird that craig was a swimmer hey He's built to, to do swimming. Oh, no, like he's built to do swimming, but I find long it Long torso, long arms, short legs. Yeah, but like why is this dude with long arms who's used to like flopping his arms around overhead and like having his shoulders glide all over the place really good at bench? Well, his um, thoracic mobility is really good. His rib cage is fucking big. Yeah. His shoulders are really broad. So his big rib cage, he has huge lung capacity and he just swims like a little torpedo. Just he, Well, he's actually built the best for squats. But that's his worst lift. Yeah, what's going on, Craig? Write to us. Does he listen? He do, he sure. does listen. Good. Um, shout out, Craig. Remember he gave me he gave me heaps of shit for, um, giving you shit about your bench when because he, he thought that our benches were similar. Oh yeah. Remember that? Yeah, jokes like on you, first, Craig. We were talking about that this that morning. That was like the first Q and A. That's heaps funny. Um, no, Alex benches more than me. He has for like five years. He hasn't shut up about it in five years either. <laughs> little prick. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll said he would go up a weight class and then he'd come back and catch me. Yeah, well, cool. Yeah, well, I gave up on coming back. Coming? No, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I bet um will I bet one of Will's clients today twenty bucks that Will wouldn't bench a PB at nationals. <laughs> That's easy money. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I said to him. Like, that's the easiest money I've ever made in my life. Um, all right. So the other thing I wrote about um, about undulation was that often when I have technique days or easy days in the strength phase, I either won't progress intensity at all within a given block. So I might have somebody say do four fours on one movement with the same load for four weeks and then four threes with slightly more load for three or four weeks with the same movement. I'll either do that or I'll progress intensity at like half the rate that I would at the other thing. So the contrast stays big and or gets bigger over the block, um, particularly because I expect them to start getting more fatigue from their harder days. Do you do that? Yeah, I'll tend to add load slower. So yeah. it might be a two and a half increase instead of five. on those triples instead of five or seven and a half on the heavier days. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's it's actually really analogous to when we started talking about like peaking the squat. If you have one really hard day, um, then you need your easier day to be sufficiently easy for you to recover because in bench we have the more frequent stimulus which is hard and we still have those slightly easier stimuli in between you just need to make sure that the contrast is big enough and stays big enough yeah and yeah. We, we got a question about well along similar lines which we'll get into a bit later all right when we get to the q a um the other thing the other other thing I should say that I wrote down is that I almost always preserve some hypertrophy style pressing accessories on the main loading days during a strength block. So like where that starts to drop out is during the peak. During the strength block, I'll often have one day where most of the most of the accessories are pressing related. So I might have one day where I do some upper body accessories with like one pressing slot and then one where I have some upper body accessories with two pressing slots or something like that. So I still get a good volume of other work in. You? Yeah, I'll tend to keep one accessory pressing slot after each um, pressing session. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I, mine might be so slightly more consolidated to one of the days than you, but yeah. But you consolidate the difficulty of your bench work to one of the days slightly more than me, if that makes sense. So like the contrast is still there. Yeah, and um, I'll tend to use um, slightly different movements. Like if my main bench day was just a comp bench, then my 
um, accessory might be like a incline. And then on the other day, it might be incline as the main lift and then flat dumbbell as the other one or something like that. Try and yeah. keep it like a little bit exciting. <laughs> so it's rivetingly exciting. As exciting as bench can be. Yeah. All right. Um, well, speaking of excitement, let's do peaking and then quickly have a break. So peaking intensity. What do you got? 85 plus. Okay. That's, that's good. Plenty of wiggle room. <laughs> Up to 15% wiggle room. That's it. I mean, for the light days, we're going to... It's going to be lighter than 85. Yep. Probably. And for smaller females, it's probably going to be around 85. Yep. Um, like if you're a 60 kilo bench presser, what's 15% of 60 kilos? Nine kilos. 51. That's pretty moderate. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I pretty much agree. Um, actually, tangent. When you have people who are 60 kilo bench pressers, because a 15% drop-off takes you down to 51, how um, how do you build in, given that like the weight changes that you have to work with aren't that big, how do you build in lots of variation in difficulty in that sort of narrower bracket? What do you do? What do you mean? Well, like, like just, say you have somebody... The same way that you would someone stronger, just with smaller increments. Tell me. Tell me about it. Like you use one kilo a week, John. Don't look at me like I'm a moron. I'm asking this for the benefit of the audience, not myself. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm offended. <laughs> right, you don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> well, like, yeah, like we said earlier, um, you know, for someone like Craig, we might put five or seven and a half on each week. Yeah. But for someone like Jess Lee, it might be one kilo a week or yeah. one and a half kilos over a week. Over the whole course of a yeah, six-week over, over six weeks, start yeah. at 53 kilos and bench 59. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but then on your easier days because you... Or like as in your secondary hard day that you don't want to be as hard, how do you... Like you've just got them glued around the 52 to 53 kilo range doing sets that are, what, two or three or something. It, so it might kind of tough. The reps might start actually higher. Yeah. Which gives us more room to add intensity as the reps drop across the cycle. Yeah. Um. But yeah, again, you just use smaller jumps. You might use one and a half on the main day and then half a kilo or one kilo on the other day. So you build in the contrast through the progression because you have that less... Like as in the main day and the secondary day might start similar intensities and then the gap widens because the progression rate changes, right? Yeah, but also when someone is a little bit weaker, they can get away with doing more volume. So they might have fives and fours closer to the competition than someone who benches 190 would. Yeah. So you can kind of start them at five and then after three weeks end at four and then at three versus starting at three and ending at two yeah which yeah. gives you more room to add load there you go well that makes sense thank you very much for answering that i and i'm sure everybody listening appreciated it alex i'm so sorry to have troubled you it's just the way you asked it oh for fuck's sake all right we're gonna take a break alex is gonna have a little hissy fit and we'll be right back just gonna fight will Weekly Weights, episode 61. It's Will. With me is Alex. What up? And we're talking about programming the bench press. Um, we've knocked off frequency, volume, and intensity in a weird order, if I do say so myself. But we're, we're back on the air. We're going to talk about specificity and variety um, across the phases as well. Did you, did you put them in the volume, intensity, frequency order? I wrote FIV. I don't know why. Frequency, intensity, volume. It just That's how it just rolls off my head. Because I'm... Um, when Eric Helms did his pyramid thing, yeah, he called it VIF. VIF. And he puts it in that order. That's fucking whack, Eric. I do the reverse. He, he always um comes up with weird acronyms and stuff. 
like that um like that say what series he did say what and it, oh which he called swa or something yeah i don't know yeah um speaking of acronyms though mike israel i'm gonna roast him about making three letter acronyms everybody wait for the intro i'm gonna intro him as the dude who invents three letter acronyms he's gonna love that he'll actually think that's funny hopefully i don't know i get the impression he'll think that's funny if he doesn't it'll be a very short podcast <laughs> 30 seconds in, he's just hung up on us. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about specificity and variety. I've got the shortest notes ever for this one. Hypertrophy phases, heaps of variety. Strength phases, less variety, more targeted. Peaking phases, overall patterns, highly specific, usually part hole style pressing. So well, Slow down, that. man. Yeah, but we'll... Don't say that's, too many words. That's literally it. <laughs> I was kidding. All right. Um, no, hypertrophy phases. I wrote heaps of variety. What do you think? Yeah, of course I agree. Um, we're going to use movements that put the body under different stresses and greater, particularly greater ranges. Yep. So we alluded to this earlier with the um, with the feet up benching, but there's more examples of this as overhead pressing, which is going to be a greater range of motion than a bench. Mm. Incline benching, again, greater range of motion than a bench. And in all of these variations, the load that we use is going to be less than in the bench. Yeah. But also, like, I, under that, I would tack in things like doing flies. Like, powerlifters should do flies in hypertrophy phase. I, I reckon they're awesome if you want your chest to grow. So flies are fine. Doing lots of dumbbell work in hypertrophy phase, totally fine. You know, because, like you said, it helps you get through long ranges, use light weights, stretch your pecs, crap like that. Like, yep. pressing in lots of different planes, all that stuff is good. In yep. hypertrophy phase. So yeah, the I guess the majority of the work that we do is going to be unspecific. Mm. And if there is specific work, it's going to be very, very easy and targeted at something technical. Yeah. Um, um, I also think this is pretty much, we said this for the squat as well. When you are just doing really high total volumes of work, you have a lot of room to do less specific stuff. Um, particularly in this instance, because we said it's, not as elegant favorite word um to just do all of your pressing as a competition press unless you're just super built for it you know that means you've like if you've only done four or five sets of competition style pressing in a week or six sets and you're gonna do 20 ish that's a lot of sets to play with with other styles of pressing where like you'd be so boring to do not different stuff that's what i think yeah yeah what about strength phases? I said less variety, more targeted. Oh, I also, we need to mention that we need to pick variations of exercises that lend themselves to doing higher volumes. Oh, full on. Yeah. So that is going to be stuff like particularly touch and go work. Mm-hmm. Like I'll never program pauses above sets of six. Yeah. Six is probably um, the limit. And we mentioned this earlier, it's just they're just more fatiguing. And if you do push them up, you're going to have to drop the load a lot more. And yep. you can get through more work touch and go. So you probably should. When the, I guess, goal of the phase is to get through work. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. Big things that you can do lots of reps with over long ranges of motion in different planes that feel comfortable, that don't beat your joints up. That still allow you to progress load or volume over the course of a phase comfortably. And do flies. And do flies. Heaps. What are your thoughts on dips? I actually like dips, but... Um, but it depends on their execution. So I've got a few clients right now, not powerlifters, but like general strength clients doing dips. And something I've found is a lot of the time, if you get people to stop their dips right when their elbow hits like 90 degrees-ish, then the people who say they get anterior shoulder pain doing dips 
can still do them safely and they can still get a chest stretch and things there. But it's when you go way past that. If everybody doesn't air dip right now, you go way past that. Feel how your shoulder wants to jam forward in the joint a lot of the time. Um, that's when people start to get pain in the front of their joints doing them. I don't mind them. They're really good for building your triceps up. Um, you can use them depending on your grip width and stuff really well to build your pecs up provided they can keep, like provided you can do them and stay happy. But I reckon having a slight limit of the range of motion before you start getting into that, like pushing up on your passive structures at the front of the shoulder range, I think they're awesome. You, you like them? I hate them. As a person or, I uh, sorry, as an exercise for you or like to use with your clients? I think, like you said, they're fine if executed properly, but my, I just cannot take them. Even if I keep my shoulder below that angle. Your elbows get hurt or what? My shoulders get hurt right. like a lot. So I, the only way that I can do them is if I like really, really lean forward and almost make it like a, a pec, a specific exercise. Yeah, well, but I But then I, I think I can get better better work done through my pecs doing other stuff. Yeah, I don't mind having people sort of... I don't know if it's around the thorax or just point their chest down a little bit when they do a dip. I think that's fine. Mm. I don't think you have to be bolt upright when you do them. I think your chest should point down a little bit. So anyway, I don't know, but I think they're okay. I use them a bit. I haven't used them with a lot of powerlifting clients because powerlifting clients are like pretty inclined to just lie down and push a dumbbell or a barbell in another plane, but I certainly wouldn't be against it. I'd happily do some dips myself. They're all right. Yeah, that's what I think. Ambivalent. Big pass for me. I'm, well, I'm going to say ambivalence tending towards positivity. Occasionally. Hard pass from me. Okay, hard pass from you. What else? Strength phases. Uh, so we're going to transition to more flat bench work mm-hmm. um, and we're going to reintroduce pause work yep. during these phases. Um, I still like to use lots of variations, but I also, one thing that I like to do and that I've done more recently is keep the feet up work in there, but add pauses to the feet up work. I really like paused feet up work as a technique thing. I think partly because you take away that stabilizing element of the feet if they haven't actually got some type of shoulder stability and like good position set, it really teaches you. Yeah, you know? that's exactly that's exactly the reason that I like them as well. Like a lot of people will say, "Oh, I'm so wobbly." Mm. The first week that they do, um, they do feet up work, and like it's it really does challenge the shoulder stability because you don't have your legs to stand on. Mm. Um, and it also means you can use less load. So if you're using that as one of those contrast days that's really easy, that's great. Yeah. Um, and also, we're going to keep the, the variations, a lot of the variations in there, overhead press, incline work. But we're just going to creep that intensity up. Um, and, you know, again, we can add pauses to incline work. We can add add pauses on the chest for overhead stuff. And Yeah, I would rarely use overhead press as a primary movement in a strength phase for me. Um, incline press, I... I do here and there, usually on like my second or third um, main bench day, like as if I were to rank them in heaviness. Um, But overhead press, when I use it in a strength phase, I would use it as an accessory or I would consider it one of my reaching exercises. I'd rarely have it, like as in I might put it in on a day with no other pressing, purely as a reach-based exercise. And then on another phase, I might do a landmine press or something like that or like a dumbbell Arnold or something. Um, or I would have it after some other pressing work as accessory stuff. I wouldn't do it as a main one. No, I, I agree with that. I, t- I tend to keep the overhead press quite light mm-hmm. and usually as a, yeah, like you said, reaching thing, keep your shoulders happy, keep your shoulders healthy, keep yourself moving through full scapular range. Yeah. Um, um, and also just some volume through the delts and the triceps. Yeah. 
Um, they are tough on the triceps, hey? They are. And if you do them properly with your ribs down and your core braced and your glutes turned on and everything, you do get... I get a lot out of my core from them. Yeah, oh, big time. They're really hard. It's anti-extension work, basically. Mm. Um, um, okay, peaking. Yeah. So very, yeah. Very specific, yeah. generally. Yep. Um, deviations from specificity to accommodate things like Alex said before with the arch or like injuries and stuff like that. And then I also wrote part hole style pressing. So in strength phases, in hypertrophy phases, we said like movement selection on the basis of letting you do long range of motions, be comfortable with volume. In strength phases, my secondary movements are usually chosen to highlight a technical or muscular weakness. In peaking, the technical stuff is still kind of technical, but it's mostly about fatigue management. And I think of it like a part hole style of teaching. Which by which I mean like I'll think of certain parts of the movement or certain ranges of motion or technical skills and pick something that really highlights that only, even if it's not too hard for a secondary movement. But otherwise, it's very, very specific. Um, usually two or more comp bench exposures per week and then the other stuff very close to comp benches with just a small tweak of one small part of the range of motion. Alex? Yeah, I've got um, sometimes I will use like the part hole thing like you mentioned. Yeah. But I'll use it generally through like a board bench. Yep. And um, the way that I've used it in the past is with people who get a little bit dicky shoulders from particularly from squatting heavy during those um, mm. during those peaking phases. So the day after their heavy squat, they might do like a heavy board bench yep. instead of their comp bench and then they'll put the comp bench later in the week. What do you think of people who like to do pretty heavy board benches, like who feel that it helps prepare them to do normal benches because they feel like they get comfortable with some heavy weight in their hands and things like that? Do you think it's actually a helpful practice? I think psychologically it is. Yeah. But I don't know if it physically helps because I don't think anyone misses a bench because they weren't strong enough at lockout. And if they do, it's probably a rare case yeah i mean i've missed a lockout but usually it's because i've got some horrendous shoulder position yeah 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 it's not like it's not actually my triceps yeah the the hardest position of the bench is the chest yeah so we should get as comfortable as we can stabilizing the bottom position what about say a one board press with a long pause as opposed to a spotter press yeah i would prefer that you would prefer a one yeah. board? Why? Because, because it's resting on your chest? Because of the contact, yeah. Because the contact is teaching you tension and tightness. Okay. Whereas when it's hovering, you have like that shaking and there's no like stability against the bar. But if you're trying to strengthen that range of motion right near the chest, don't you think actually having that tension being held through your muscles might be preferable as opposed to having contact with your chest? I'm um, kind of playing devil's advocate. I don't really know what I think. I don't. You don't think it's preferable? No. Why? I don't know if I can articulate it. That's why um, we have a podcast. We never know what we can or can't articulate till we try. Remember our discussion just before about... I th- I think it's extremely important and overlooked how we touch the chest. Yeah. And I think if you're teaching yourself to slow down above the chest, you're not really teaching yourself... You're not teaching yourself to touch the chest. In fact, you're actually doing the opposite. You're teaching yourself to you're not You're teaching touch yourself the chest. to hover. Yeah. And... Um, the way that, especially during, like we're talking about peaking phases right now, yeah, we need to be comfortable touching and we need to be doing it the same way all the time. So you know, if we have a board, obviously it isn't the same way, but it's still teaching that touch and that tension yeah. through the back and through the bar. And I think, I just think there's a disconnect between 
hovering and trying to deliberately hover. Yeah. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. When you when you have people who have issues touching the chest and issues holding tension, there's two there's two main reasons. One is just a positional one. If they descend poorly and they lose tension and so on, then they struggle to hold tension on the chest. You know, if your elbows fly out of line of the bar, you're in trouble. But another one is sometimes people just relaxing onto their chest too much. They don't, you know, do that good like feather touch, strong position under the bar. Um, and when you get people doing, say, a spot press where you're holding the bar, you have no option but to hold tension in that position right near your chest for longer because you don't have a chest to rest it on. And if you gave that same person a board, they might just have the exact same shitty habits but regressed an inch from their chest. Don't you think that's the case? Yeah, but they're not losing their shoulder position where you're pausing. They're losing it on the chest. So yeah. it would make more sense to do a long pause on the chest then. Sure, but it could, but you could In also... you could, But you could progress from one to the other. You could say, one phase, do a spot press, say, and then the next phase, you do a long pause on the chest and we try and transpose that idea of feeling you're holding all the tension, feeling you're holding yourself under the bar to actually doing that while touching the chest as light as possible, couldn't you? Yeah, but let me ask you this then. Why do you actually think that a spot press would be beneficial? For that reason, because it forces you to actually hold the tension. If you... If you were to, like everybody do an air spot press right now, if you were to go down and then actually let yourself move out of alignment or lose that tension, you would feel it very quickly because you have the feedback of holding the bar in your hand. Whereas what happens with people who lose position on the chest oftentimes is they lose the position and they don't get feedback that they've actually fucked up positionally until they go to press, then they just do a bad press, right? And the issue is actually what's happening as they hit their chest sometimes. As they hit their chest, they start to you know roll out. That's number one. Number two is because I think it forces them to have more tension in that weak position of the bench where a lot of people start to miss, where they're like, where they're most mechanically disadvantaged. They spend more time under load in that position in the bench. Those are the two reasons. I'm not entirely certain I'm correct about them, but but that's why I think they have utility. I think it's, if someone is continually missing, like you said, they're losing position on their chest as they go to press. I think that's an improper teaching and technique of the lift and they need to do more of the lift, not something that is going to make them worse at the lift. But I don't think they're going to get worse at the lift by doing this, the spot press. That's where you and I differ. I think, I think you use variations of the, of the performance environment, so of the lift itself. You, know, you make modifications like tempo, long pauses, doing a spot press, whatever it happens to be, to give people more chances of feedback or like more chances at getting feedback of where a technical error occurs and why so that they can fix it. And then part of the trick of coaching is highlighting to them what they did well and badly and how they can then integrate that into their other pressing. So that's where I think a spot press can be helpful. I don't think, yeah. Does I that would kind of make be, sense? Yeah, yeah, your rationale makes sense. I would be more inclined to use something like that earlier on yeah, and not in the peak because I think it just confuses the rhythm and the like touch point and all that kind of stuff. So it's a bit like why you don't like a say a pin squat during the peak because people should slow down onto the pins and hit them softly. Yeah. Whereas you shouldn't slow down and hit the whole exactly softly. Right. It's why it's why you wouldn't use a pause deadlift in the last three weeks of a comp prep. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Well, I agree. Similar with your rationale, rationale there. Similar rationale. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you can justify it and you think it it is beneficial, then there's no reason why you can't include it in your program. Yeah. But I don't have to agree with you. No, I don't think you have to. Um, what about then? So we did talk about heavy heavy board presses. So at the top, at the top of the range of motion, you think psychologically helpful, but probably not helpful in terms of making you stronger. At the bottom of the range of motion, you could use pauses for a technical benefit. Be um sorry, boards for a technical benefit. 
but you don't think heavier board presses ne- necessarily have much carryover from there either. I think um, it obviously can provide overload for the triceps, and if you are someone who is in a good position and misses high, mm-hmm. then that may be a benefit. But yeah. I can't name five people off the top of my head who are actually in a good position and miss high. Me either. So like Will Phillips, does he miss high? He benches pretty flat back. He benches and- pretty narrow and flat back, so inherently he's going to miss higher because it's tr- more tricepy. Yeah, but that's not because he's in a bad position. That's just because it's more tricepy. So for him, he could do some higher board presses, right, and get yeah. some benefit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you maybe know- he needs bigger arms. Shout out Will Phillips. <laughs> if, if anybody hasn't seen, is Will Power Phillips on Instagram. If you haven't seen the size of that guy's arms, it is. A sight to behold. Go look at um at body guessing on Instagram. It's like my favorite Instagram <laughs> yeah, it's page. So funny. <laughs> so good. Um. Okay. Will. Yeah. Shout out to Will. All right. Cool. But yeah. I, I don't think that many people miss high enough because of weak triceps, and and in that the solution would be board pressing. But I think it's an elegant way to get in more volume at a higher intensity. Yeah. For some people particularly if they have those shoulder and elbow niggles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the way that that's the way that we can get some barbell volume in. I was going to say, it's a more specific way of getting that volume in while accommodating the issues they have with, like, a shoulder and an elbow. Yeah. It's much more specific than saying, okay, we'll just have to do some flies and tricep extensions because your shoulder's... Yeah, it'd be like the equivalent of someone who has, like, a hip impingement and it can only handle comp, to de- comp depth squatting once a week, so you might give them a box squat on the other day. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, cool. Um... But yeah, I do think psychologically that heavy board presses can help. Like if you're, especially for females, if they're handling like 110, 115% for triples and fours and stuff, like they're going to get to the comp and they're going to get to their third attempt and it's going to be like, okay, I've, I've done this for three or four reps before. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, whether that's actually physically helping them, not sure, but mentally, sure. Yeah. I'm really, yeah, I'm really on the fence because I pretty much agree with what you're thinking, but I, but yeah, I I can also see it being helpful, maybe. I just don't know. I haven't look. Put it like this: I haven't done it much, and I haven't felt the need for it much. But I wouldn't not ever do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like Max did a set of four at seventy to and the two. What's board. her best bench? Seventy-one. Sixty. Sixty. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. That's she's a lot. done sixty-two in training. Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. Pretty smooth. Yeah. But you know, when she cuts weight, it's a, a little bit of a different story. So like you know, she'll be aiming at sixty-two or sixty-three. Right. At nationals. And, you know, she did 70 for a set of four after doing 67.5 for two by four and 65 for two by four. All to boards. a board. Yeah. So, like, you know, when she gets to the comp and she's got 63, 62 or 63 in her hands, it's, you know, psychological advantage. So, there is an instance in which it seems to likely be helpful because her bench is also progressing underneath that. You know, like yeah. she did that 62 or whatever in training the other day. It was great. Yeah. But, but that's, that, again, like the board bench isn't all she's doing. It's just one of her three bench days. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the next big question. So we've ticked off the training variables now. The next big question is what differences in technique, tolerance to the lift and needs exist and how might they influence programming? So firstly, Alex, the training variables, FIV, VIF, IVF. IVF. <laughs> for all of those aspiring parents out there. IVF, what do you reckon? You you go first. Okay, so I said, um, just like we said with squatters, people who have a really good build for bench pressing and have good technique and good shoulder health and so on can usually bench more and benefit more from benching. 
So like we've spoke we've spoken about how like you know it can be a more elegant solution to <laughs> favorite phrase. Um, it can be a more elegant solution to do a lot of your hypertrophy work with other implements and things and it'll keep you happy and stuff like that. But if you're just like born to bench press, there are plenty of people who just do a stack of bench pressing in hypertrophy phases and benefit from it. Um, and so, yeah, just like in the case of squatters, that can happen for benches too. If you're built great for it, then great. But the opposite's also true. If you have poor shoulder health or, you know, any of a number of other things, you might find that, um, you might find that you actually have like a higher volume tolerance and you get more return by including more variety in all of your phases. You know, again, just like Alex was saying, if you have shitty shoulders, doing some of your work to a board, things like that can work as well. So that it definitely matters how well built you are to bench press before anything else. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about different bench techniques? Like as in grip width, as in, arch, all that. As in like, yeah, how big, our, how big someone's arch is or... Mm where their grip is or, you know, whether they so- touch soft or whether they sink the bar or well, how do you think that affects Well, let's start with programming. Arch. Let's start with arch. So people who have a really big arch, you've already spoken about how it can be very taxing to do lots of arching. So in a hypertrophy phase, if you have a really big arch and a very short range of motion, very inefficient way of getting a lot of volume done and it's extra taxing for you to do it. So you probably need to regress far further from the bench press for just hypertrophy purposes than somebody who benches very flat backed with a relatively narrow grip a la Will Phillips, who's jacked as shit, right, from benching. Um, and then during a peaking phase, you may need to accommodate more for the fact that your arch itself is taxing, but per unit of benching volume you do, you actually move, the, or per unit of benching work you do, you move the bar less distance, so you're doing slightly less volume. So possibly those people will handle more volume of actually difficult benching sets at the other end of the spectrum, Um because they're moving the bar less distance. Do you agree with that in premise? Absolutely agree with that. And we see this with like someone like Sean Noriega. Yeah. He f- benches like four or five days a week, like four or five, four or five, six, seven sets. Yeah. Every session. Yeah. And he, he rec- seems to recover fine. And even when I was talking to Simon on the podcast again when you were away, Bludger, um, <laughs> he was talking about the Japanese benchers who were just doing absolutely absurd amounts of benching but when you watch like Daiki Kodama bench it doesn't go far you know like it's a minuscule range of motion right mm. um, but they're hyper efficient when they do it so for those people who are hyper efficient you can get a little bit more work out of them I got a question for you go for someone with a huge arch yeah you would say that their chest and shoulders do less work than someone with less arch because that bottom portion of the motion range of motion is taken out yes does that but mean that? Go on. Does that mean that you would cater your accessory work to their competition lift? Phrase that question again. Do you cater their accessory work? Hypertrophy so phase, you, peaking phase. Would you cater the volume that they do in the lead up to competition to reflect the technique that they're going to express on the competition day, or do you build like a general presser? presser? And then just put them in their strongest position. I err towards the second. Like my thinking is more the second one of them. Like get generally good at pressing and put them in their stronger position for most of the time. But at the same time, this is a discussion you and I have had about Chrissy, who is like her bench setup is exceptional. She doesn't move the bar very far, really high arch. Um, 
someone like her, one of the things that makes her a very good bencher is that she has a high arch and a short range of motion. So I think you want to maximize your return on their strengths. But the thing that support those strengths is general pressing ability. So in a preparatory phase, somebody like Chrissy, like she sucks at close grip bench, right? And like even mid grip bench for her is considerably harder. Um, so having somebody like her do a lot of pressing over long range of motion, develop those pressing muscles and things um, is really beneficial and important. As you get closer to competition, you need to maximize her ability to express her strengths and the things that make her good. So you need to get her really good in those positions. And the amount of work that you put towards just general pressing strength pulls back a little bit. But again, I think it's still very important to do that non-specific stuff in reduced volumes because you know those reduced volumes are a more you get more bang for your buck per per set that you do if you're just maintaining general pressing strength and size in those muscles by keeping them in than heaping in more competition style bench. Do you agree? Kind of. I entirely agree. And in fact, I would even go the other direction What's in that? that I would highlight what their weaknesses are. So in developmental phases or and for longer yeah and, and for, for longer leading into a competition why for longer leading into comp i'm curious because if they are already someone who has a tremendous technical ability yeah those are the things that don't go away and this is something that we spoke about last week um and in the last peaking one that we did yeah um we can kind of afford to bring the comp lift back later mm. when someone already has that skill developed yeah and if they are like lower down in ability as far as general pressing goes mm. or general hypertrophy or just um, strength in the accessory movements. Mm. We can continue progressing those for longer than someone who would already be close to max down in those areas. Yeah. So we can kind of get away with doing a little bit more of the other stuff and then at the last minute put them in their best position. Yes. Yeah. In, well, in that case, I agree. But you want to make sure you do actually maximize their best position if their best position is what makes them good. Yeah, so we might bring in that best position, you know, at the same time that we would for someone else. But, but on those secondary days, yes, we might keep in the the feet up work, the the long pause feet up work, the more dumbbell benching, more flat back benching, more mid grip, close grip, all that kind of stuff. We might keep that in a bit longer to continue building those general capacities mm-hmm. and then put them in their strongest position. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Um, you said that if people have a really high arch, they do less chest and shoulder work. I think they do less work in the like mechanical sense, like work being um, work being like distance moved against gravity or whatever. Um, I don't think that their chest and shoulders do less work proportionally than their triceps necessarily though. Um, and this is something I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. If somebody has... So again, let's use Chrissy as an example because it's easy for us both to envisage her bench. She benches with a really high arch, but when she descends, her elbows go very wide, right? So there's a lot of horizontal abduction at the shoulder. Big stretch, yeah. Big stretch. And the the pec is the big horizontal adductor, right? So the pec is actually doing a lot of work in her bench press. Um, it's not as stretched as it would be were she to lie flat back and do and go down to touch her chest. If she did that, she'd like dislocate her shoulders, right? But her pet, well, actually she's like a gymnast. She probably wouldn't, but like, uh, maybe, but, <laughs> but like, don't try it. Please don't. But, but her pet gets a big stretch there and you know, her elbows are bent to 90 ish degrees. So her triceps are probably, probably bent the same amount as they would be were she to touch lower on her chest. But it's not that her, it's not that her pet doesn't contribute a lot to her bench. Her pet contributes heaps. It's just not taken, perhaps through as much of a range of motion as it would be were she a lower 
lower arched bencher because she has that big horizontal adduction. I think people who who touch really low with a tucked arm probably have slightly less stretch across their pec than people who take their arm way out to the side. Oh, I mean like a significant amount less. But your pec is also a shoulder flexor. It's just that the front delt will pick up a huge amount of the work for somebody who touches low with their arm close by their side. Once their arm starts going wide, even if you're a high even if you're a high arch bencher, it's a very pec dominant press, I think. Do you agree or disagree? No, I do agree. Yeah. So I think for somebody like for somebody like that, it's not just a matter of saying they're so efficient, like their arm bends a bit and not much else happens, just smash their triceps um, and that'll get their bench better. It's like you actually really need the pressing muscles to be strong, the pecs to be strong and things. It's just it's just the specific position and range of motion that they occupy is a little bit more restricted than somebody else who doesn't have like a yeah massive arch, I think. Yeah. Agree? Yeah, no no disagreement there. Um, let's talk about some other individual differences. Um, I said that most people need to touch heavier benches to be ready to bench heavy than they do for the squat and the deadlift. You agree with that in premise? Like as in relative to your competition lifts, most people need to bench slightly heavier. So as in, say a deadlift, plenty of people can just deadlift up to an opener, maybe a, a bit beyond and they're ready to compete. Most people can squat somewhere between their opener and second and be ready to compete maybe a little bit heavier and bench plenty of people need to bench up to near a second to be ready to truly max do you think that's the case i don't know if it's necessary yeah but i also haven't like i haven't tried holding bench back and seeing how it went yeah i've almost just done it because that was kind of the that was kind of commonplace in programming well, why like don't I say it another way? A little bit harder. Why don't I say it another way and see if we can we can agree on this? Because bench, and I still haven't figured out why. Because bench is a bit less taxing than the squat and deadlift. The cost of going heavier, yes, prior to comp is a little bit lower. That's true, and that's usually useful information and often useful preparation. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether yeah, the, it's necessary, you're right. I the, don't actually. know. Yeah, the coach is able to push it a little bit further because we know that we're not going to provide unnecessary fatigue mm. and we can get away with doing a little bit extra yeah. and we're going to get a nice gauge of what the lifter might be capable of Yeah, more than if we were to do the same thing with the deadlift in particular more particularly the deadlift but yeah. also the squat um, so yeah I think just because you can get away with doing more doesn't necessarily mean you should get away with doing more but then again like why not yeah. if the risk is only small yeah exactly YOLO so so yeah um, here, but here's where there's an individual difference I've observed I'm not entirely sure why um, some people can't do anywhere near as much heavy work under fatigue as others actually I, I have plenty of suspicions why but let's consider Tim who I was training this morning um, he's close to a 120 bencher. T boogie. T boogie. Um, Tim Fleming, who every who every time he comes into lift now will have a new have a new nickname. Um, T ball. T ball. T bone. Um, T pain. T bang. <laughs> T bang. Is that what you just said? That's funny. Um, he's a close to 120 bencher, right? Um, but he absolutely can't hack many difficult sets at all. Like, as in, he'll do a single or two in the 105 to 110 range. And then triples at much above, like, 90. He can't do more than a few sets of... And he just goes to crap. 
where and for a 120 bench that shouldn't be that hard right whereas there is are that other, the case for his squat and deadlift as well or is it bench specific well his deadlift i've never made him do much difficult so i can't say for his squat, that is the case. Anything above about 80%, his ability to do it drops off pretty rapidly. So maybe that's just an individual thing, not like a bench-specific thing. But for his bench, it's more pronounced. And I think in the case of his bench, it's because his shoulder stability is not good, but I'm not certain. But I've seen similar things with with other people, and I've seen almost the extremes at the other end, um, where some people are able to do quite a lot of work quite close to what their max is, but then they just don't. They just can't bench much heavier than the point at which they can do a lot of work. So there seems to be some big variance in how much work people can tolerate there. Have you seen that? Yes, definitely. But I don't know why. I Well, I said I had a couple of inklings. One of mine is to do with shoulder stability. So people with bad shoulder stability are just going to fatigue and not be able to handle as much. As yeah. much work as they're inefficient at doing it, right? You say that, but like then I look at someone like Potts. Yeah. Who's terribly unstable in his shoulders shout out Aiden for being but unstable he can hack more volume than anyone I've ever seen on bench well I don't know why but but I was thinking it might be an interplay between that the range of motion that people press over maybe I do think that that's something that I've noticed um, more than anything else is that the greater range someone goes through the less they can hack yeah, well, that just kind of makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, but then also there might be something to do with how taxing your setup is for you individually as well. Maybe. Like, and I say maybe because I just don't know. But maybe there's like some confluence of those few things. But I just, I've certainly observed the difference. So it's worth kind of noting. Yeah, I think on that point, if your setup is taking away from your lift, then your setup's shit and you need to fix your setup. Yeah, sure. Um, but like it might not take away from your lift in the moment, but like you might not want to do it 10 times either. A full setup. You know, yeah, yeah, you don't think so? I guess. Have you seen that guy who everybody was pissed off at him and memeing him on the internet for benching like two centimeters? He did that amazing record. He was like a sixty-something kilo. Oh, Berglund. Is that his name? Yeah, Eddie Berglund. Yeah, guarantee that guy doesn't want to do that forty-five times. His bench setups really fast. Are we? This the guy who's literally like basically a V on the bench, right? The Swedish guy. Yeah. Yeah. His setup's really fast. Yeah, he grabs a bar and like pulls his chest up and then takes the bar out pretty much straight away. That's whack-ass. It's super quick. Well, I would think it would be very hard to assume that position a lot. Yeah, but it doesn't take him a long time to get there. It doesn't look like he loses a lot of energy. I'm not saying it's laborious to do it. I'm saying it's got to be harder to arch your back a lot than just lie down on a bench. Yeah. Yeah. So, there. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's just something that his body can do and he's built up tolerance that he can't do it. It's like getting in an extreme sumo position. Yeah, can't like, do that. Yeah, like if you and I tr- or I tried to do it, we'd like my fucking gr- adductor would tear immediately. Yeah. yeah, true. But like someone who has good hip movement and, you know... Pots again. Yeah, pots. Like he just puts his legs wide and then <laughs> bends and his sumo. knees and he's there. Yeah, true. I don't know. Okay, um, we've spoken about <laughs> elbow pain and shoulder issues. It's been a lot of that's, I don't know. That's a one. huge I don't know. Um, all right, muscles used need for accessory work and which muscles? We kind of started talking about that, um, pecs, tries, shoulders, all that stuff. Um, oh, hey, I actually wrote down here that short range of the motion and high arches might need more general pressing. So there we go. We did agree even before I knew we agreed. Nice. Um, on the fixing the bench thing, I spoke about the interdependence of the triceps and pecs. So again, everybody can air bench. Imagine they're holding a broomstick. 
And the only way you can extend your hands if you have an object of a fixed length between them is to horizontally adduct your, your arm, so to bring it towards your midline. And the only way you can bring your arms towards the midline with an object of a fixed length between your hands is to straighten your elbows as well. So, so to some degree, it's difficult to just say that people have weak triceps or just say people have weak pecs, although where they miss in the lift might be some indication of that like if you miss really low maybe you have slightly weaker pecs than triceps because your pecs are slightly more stretched and if you miss really high maybe you have slightly weaker triceps than pecs but certainly if one is stronger it will support the other so i would rarely i would rarely go way super duper ham one way or the other when i'm trying to get someone stronger alex what do you think yeah agree they work with each other like you said um there needs to be a relative balance between the two yeah when we um build out the accessories in the program i think that's pretty straightforward i think if somebody's pecs were like as in if your if your triceps were outrageously strong and your pecs were playing catch up i don't like your pecs would have to support the triceps anyway that's what i think i don't know that you could just like tricep extend your way to success with a weak chest as a bench shot and vice versa like if you had strongish pecs and weak triceps you wouldn't be able to express your express your true pec strength without strong triceps i think yeah you'd need some weird grip or I don't know what you would have to think technically to like tricep extend the bar without trying to squeeze your pecs. You'd almost have to like bring it to your throat and then like kick it like skull crush almost. <laughs> I don't know. My point is they're interdependent. They can help each other, but I think they should both be strong enough to support the other. I don't. And I don't think either one can get too far ahead of the other in practical terms. I also wrote down, um, I wrote down that doing some reaching work again listen to Jay, um, Jamie if you haven't on the podcast doing some reaching work and some upper back work is probably important just for your, for your health and you know maybe having a thicker upper back will help because it shortens your range of motion but it's important for yeah maintaining your shoulder position and stability um, and then I wrote accessory categories so so when I write programs I'll think of accessory pressing in hypertrophy phases, rarely beyond that, I'll think of chest isolations. I'll have tricep isolations, shoulder isolations, back work, and reaching. So that's quite a lot of categories of stuff to fill out, but not all of them are super specific to bench. Alex, you have similar categories in your head? Uh, I didn't write down categories, but what I actually did write was um, some accessories, and I was going to ask you... I don't know if you even want to do this or not. It's what, probably do another... I just say yes or no quickly? No, no, this is probably like a 10-minute bit. Should we do it? Oh, okay, let's just do it. and see. Right, I'll so do it in less than 10 minutes. I've written a bunch of accessories. Yep. Uh, I want to know where Which we put celebrity? Them. No, I want to know where oh, okay. we put them and what the benefits are. Okay, I'll do this super quick fire and, and say yes or uh, to which rep ranges and volumes would they lend themselves to? Fuck. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Touch and go flat bench. Uh, rep ranges four to ten hypertrophy phases, lots strength phases here and there. Benefits get lots of work through a like through a comp specific bench. Get some awareness of your elbow positioning in the transition. Cool. Incline bench. Uh, rep ranges anywhere between five ish and twelve hypertrophy and strength phases, rarely in peaking. Uh, benefits decent range of motion through the pecs and triceps, slightly different plane use it usually as like a secondary pressing movement in hypertrophy phases and strength phases, mostly for me. Cool. Long pauses? Uh, technique work, low rep ranges, so two, rarely one, 
but two to about four or five um, in strength and peaking phases as an easier day to get people awareness of technique and position on the chest. Tempo work? Similar. Block benches? Uh, we just had a long discussion about block benches. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, realistically, sometimes as a way of getting in some extra pressing and tricep work in hypertrophy phases for the strength phases and peaking phase stuff. Still not entirely sure, but we just spoke about it. Uh, dumbbell work? Similar to touch and go and incline. Dips? Never. Fat pass. Never. <laughs> I don't mind dips. Hard pass. Um, dips as like a very tertiary pressing exercise. Probably hypertrophy phases only. Overhead press? Uh, I already said that. Usually it's a secondary pressing accessory or on a standalone day is an easy thing flies uh the 10 to 20 rep range normally sometimes actually before a secondary press if i really want to like smash someone's chest in a hypertrophy phase um not often in a strength phase but and i almost or i almost never i should say do more than two sets in a day of flies for people who are training for powerlifting tricep um, work tricep work three sets of six to 20 all the time pretty much all the time yeah mad okay that was so much quicker than 10 minutes i'm stoked on that um q right, oh a no interference and synergy then quick break then q and a okay there's not much to say on this so how much interference or synergy with the other lifts is there in the bench press how does this influence programming decisions and what individual factors contribute to this i'm going to take this away while alex tries to have a little sneaky way um okay so we spoke on the squat podcast about how the squat can interfere with the bench press. So for some people, assuming a low bar position can smash your shoulders around a little bit, smash your elbows around a little bit. Um, and also the postural fatigue, particularly for people who um, who have a big arch, can interfere a little bit. So I like to couple my hardest benching days with my easiest squat days. Um, Alex likes to couple his hardest benching days with an easy deadlift day. So he'll go hard bench first, so you're most fresh for it, and then do some easy deadlifts after. Because my weekly layout tends to be a bit different to him, I do it differently. But either way, it's worth noting that there can be some interference there. Um, the other thing to think about is just that the wear and tear on your elbows and shoulders from the low bar squat can begin to impede the amount of bench volume that you can do over the entire week so it can sometimes be good for your bench training for you to accommodate that with your squats if you're one of those people by doing some safety bar squatting even if the squats even if the issues with your elbows and shoulders aren't interfering with your squat sometimes it's worth thinking about how they interfere with your bench um rarely doing a big arch do you think this is true alex rarely doing a big arch can make subsequently deadlifting harder for people I said rarely because I, I think I've only had that complaint once or twice ever. Um, I don't think the arch itself has um, provides any stress that would take away from the deadlift. But well, I do think and I have found that the, um, the constant extension and pulling your shoulder blades back and um, trying to pull your chest up to the bar yeah. can like, create some doms in the mid-back. Yeah, which can affect squatting and deadlifting, but again, it's not b because of the arch. It's because of like all that tension and you're kind of like rowing. It's almost like you're doing rows. Remember when we spoke to Nathan Baxter and he said he used to get a massive lower back pump benching? Did he say lower back or upper back? Lower back. Oh. He um, 
and he was like he he was surprised that other people were complaining about getting sore in different places and he said that that's where he really felt it no i feel the most doms from bench like doing competition bench in my mid back that's interesting. Mid and upper back. I just feel pain in the front of my shoulders. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. All right. And then the other thing that I wrote down for interference stuff was the bench is the upper body lift and you need to warm up sufficiently for bench, your upper body. You also need to do some lower body warming up if you want to have a half decent arch and things. Um, but when you pair bench press with one of the lower body lifts which normally you have to just to get your training in in a reasonable number of sessions it becomes a little bit time efficient so where it's less important so particularly in hypertrophy phases and things sometimes it can be really nice to just have days that are upper body only so you can do your bench warm-up or whatever warming up you need to do to bench well for your hypertrophy work and then just go and jam out and do some other stuff and you can suddenly get it done in 45 to 60 minutes instead of a much longer session. Yeah, and also when we do those hypertrophy blocks, we're going to be away from the comp lift, so it's going to require less warming up. Yeah. You don't have to do all the leg stuff to get your arches going if you're doing feet up bench. Yeah. Um, Which is such a godsend. I reckon... And also less warm-up sets to actually get to your working sets. Yeah, it's just like it just makes training much more time efficient. So it's nice to accommodate that in your planning. Yep. Yeah, that's all I really had to say. Now do you want to take that break? No, I had my break already. Well, I need a break now, if you know what I mean. Weekly wins. (laughs) Welcome back to episode 61 programming the bench we're going to start the q and <laughs> I just I can't wait till episode 69 I'm going to struggle so hard to say it not like should we skip it fuck that should we do I'm 69 never... forever should just every episode should after 69 you, should we do 69 forever like are every... you trying to get, get me going no thank you every episode after 69 is just called 69 69 69 part 2 part 3 part 4 good idea should we call it episode lol episode a lot that's actually pretty funny it's gonna come up as 69 you know have you noticed itunes change it now they list which episode it is so we've been unnecessarily writing like 059 and then it goes 59 059 i like that though yeah i'm fine with doing it but we could actually go just call it episode lol because then it's going to come up on itunes as 069 lol maybe we can get somebody else on the podcast and turn it into a menage a trois i actually have a good idea for when we're in melbourne for a podcast episode but I'll tell you off the air. Okay, cool. Good idea. Spoiler. All right. No spoiler. Okay, so we're on, we've got the Q&A, right? So yeah, I asked um, a bunch of you guys for... Well, you didn't ask them specifically. You offered to answer questions. No, I asked you guys to ask us questions. You you said you asked a bunch of you guys, like as in you went around and said, hey, Tom, Jack, Harry, <laughs> Sally, please submit questions to us. Come on, mate. Oh, right, man, like, just done. like you you said earlier, like five minutes ago when we were on a break, you were like, oh, I thought this was going to be quicker than the squat one. And it's fucking you talking the whole time. So yeah, if you wanted the episode, unclear. if you want the episode to be shorter, you stop talking so much. Man, I'm the one who has to edit this shit after you leave. So I'm, I'm happy to cop it. All right. It's not like you go through and listen to the whole thing. No, you literally Christ. click on the <laughs> I'm beginning. I'm not listening to this one at all. You, I can you, tell you that you Click much. on the beginning <laughs> and you check the sounds, right? You click on the end. Yep. Cool. All right, yep, so that's it. It's that easy, you can do it yourself. From Five Trong, whoever that is. Who's that? I don't know. (laughs) He says, best general accessory slash variation. We have so covered that. And I wanted to change it a little bit and 
ask you a question. Yeah. If you could only choose, other than competition bench, one bench accessory, and it can't be touch and go flat bench. That's boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, to do for all of your clients' programming. All of my. All clients. of your clients' programming, so you can still do comp bench, but you've only got one other accessory. What are you choosing? That's really tough. Um, Please don't take my answer because I've got an answer. If I have anticipated your answer, I'll tell you after why I think it's not close grip. Was that your answer? No, good. Not close grip. I was going to say not close grip because some people just find it too tough on their elbows and shoulders. If I did that for all my clients, it would work for 50% of them and 50% not at all. So what's your answer? Um, I'm thinking about it. You sprung this on me. You've been thinking about it. No, I only, I only just. Oh, you just thought about it. I just switched it into a question for you. Um, you know what? I reckon it would be dumbbell bench. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I don't love that answer, but I'm gonna say dumbbell bench. What's yours? I was gonna say feet up pause bench. Actually, that's a really good one. I didn't think of that. Um, feet up. Uh, yeah, feet up pause is better than dumbbell, but I'm gonna stick with dumbbell. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I don't love it, but I'm going to stick with it. All right. All right. Um, question from... Yeah? Victor the Dictor. Dictator. <laughs> Victor the Dictor. Oh Shout out. Dickie That's V. so good. Dickie yeah. V. Yeah. Oh, man. Dickie V. Yeah, go on. Um, he says, do you believe there is merit in unstructured benching purely aimed to perfect the skill with the assumption that X is recovering, e.g. Jap bench is treating bench like a golf swing? So this is a reference to what Simon said on the podcast. I'm not sold on the idea. I don't think the bench is that different, like in principle from the squat and the deadlift. And pretty much no one talks about, um, no one talks about being like, oh, people have said this about the squat, but like nobody says, I'm just going to like do a fuck ton of deadlifts that are really easy forever because deadlifting's a skill. Um, so I'm not entirely sold on the idea, but there's probably there's probably a bit of merit to it because the bench is more technically complex than the other ones. There's probably some merit to having a lot of stuff that is easy. Alex and I already do that in the program and getting through a reasonable volume of work that is practice, but just doing a metric fuck ton of really really easy bench, I don't think I don't think that's that great of an idea and I also do think that the demands of heavy slow hard lifting are different from stuff that's just super easy and light so not really alex yeah i agree i think like if you look at a basketball jump shot or a golf swing yeah the way that you shoot a golf swing is at the same sorry the way that you the way way you you shoot the way that you shoot a basketball when you practice shooting a basketball is at the same speed how you shoot a basketball in a game yeah versus in a powerlifting competition if you do bench at 60 kilos and you bench 150 kilos it's going to be a different speed in the competition than it is to um training yeah. so i don't know if and i don't know if there's that much merit to just willy-nilly adding a bunch of really light bench yeah and also by the same token that is going to be more fatiguing than swinging a golf club or mm. shooting a basketball because there's no load the loads a basketball or a golf swing a golf club it's like super duper light yeah, it's, just, it's that's not a load essentially a te- like that's purely a technical. Yeah, that, that you're entire doing. yeah that entire sport or that entire skill is tech is technique. Yeah, versus 
the strength and the other adaptations that we need to be a good bench presser. I don't think you can just like reduce it down to just that. That said, little caveat, a couple of my clients since that episode have started doing more bench warm-ups and that's helped. Um, you know, doing a bunch more reps of the bar, a bunch of reps with 40, a bunch of reps with 60 and things working up to 110 or whatever. That to them has been helpful. Um, but I don't think that's helpful necessarily because of skill practice. I think it, I mean, it's helpful because of skill practice in the moment. Like it gets them warmed up well, gets them aware of what's happening technically. Um, and it also makes them start with lighter load increments. This is something I've been guilty of. Like if your first squat warm up is 70 kilos and you're a 250 kilo squatter, that's what, like just under 30%, right? Whereas if your first bench warm up is 60 kilos and you're a 140 kilo bencher, your that's a it's about 40 yeah yeah that's about 40 and then each subsequent jump you make is oh proportionally similar um but like you've already started slightly heavier so there's probably something to be said for doing more work on the way up for a lot of people than that they do but i don't think it's because of skill alex um yeah i agree with that i think um i don't know if there's any any more to add to that yeah um no i'm happy with that answer so should dicky vicky be I think. Dickie Vicky. <laughs> All right, next question. Do you know who Dickie V is? Dickie Vital. the dictator. Do you know who Dickie, Dick Vital is? No. So this is not the guy who asked the question. Yeah, I was going to say The that guy who asked like the question is like Victor Lou. Yeah, Victor yeah. Lou from Melbourne Uni. Yeah. Shout out to Victor. What up? Um, but you, when you said Dickie V, that's um this guy who commentates basketball. Okay. He does college basketball. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't have known that in a million years. He, yeah. he always says, yeah, baby, and oh, baby. Yeah, baby, it's like so, that. He's fucking funny. Gets anyway. really hype. I like hype commentary. Super hype. I reckon powerlifting needs more of that. Go on. Um. All right, next question. Also from Dickie V. You know what actually gets hype before we go on is esports commentary. That's And I think that's the best thing about it is it's so ironic. It's so funny. People playing like Call of Duty. And like Super Smash Brothers and shit like that, yeah, like Dota, and the commentators are going like, <laughs> "It's just the best thing ever." It's so funny. I don't care. Don't care for games. Uh, it's basically just sport with a computer. Yeah, go on. No, it's not. <laughs> go on. All right. Um, Dickie V also says, "Who's going to hit one forty first, Kalki or Berkman?" And my money's on Kalki. You know what? JP's bench is going very well. I don't want to heap any pressure on him, but he might bench 133 at Nationals. Um, you, no, guys, you guys should actually do a bet on who benches more at Nationals because it's going to be hella close between it will you two. Be, it will be close. I I think I benched 140 in the gym two years ago and I haven't gotten close to it since, whereas JP's on the up and up. And I could see him getting there. His rep work's really, really good. He just struggles to translate really solid rep work to what I would think would be a commensurate increase in his 1RM but I reckon 140 is coming this year for JP I reckon you could do a 140 in the gym touch and go but I don't reckon now, but I, don't I don't reckon, reckon I, could. I don't reckon JP could but I don't think I, I could think do 140 touch there. and go I don't think I could do 140 touch and go now I think he'll get there in comp first I reckon if JP competes at the very end of this year I reckon 140 is a genuine possibility nice nice alright from Mitch Ronan okay i'm already ready for this shit (laughs) is it wise for someone to gain significant body fat to help their bench and be better blokes the answer to that is yes and yes (laughs) yep so this is mitch who writes to me at least weekly 
to ask me to gain a significant amount of weight because he wants me to be fat again um <laughs> just subtly having a dig at my bench and my body weight in one question yes next question from josh chiller how would you approach programming for an extreme arch bencher so spoke we spoke about that yeah we went through this um obviously their uh what they are elite at is getting into a good position and being technically elite um, and what they lack in most cases is just general pressing strength and um, the ability to like grind through a slow rep. And often you'll see that with these extreme arch benches like Eddie Berglund at Worlds, for instance, bombed on bench. He benched 221 um, at bench only. Really? And then he bombed missing 205 three times. So he missed his first two just because they were slight miscrews and he wasn't able to fight out of the position. And the third one, is I think, his butt lifted. Right. Um but you see lifters like that and Chrissy's a good example of this as well and she's gotten a lot better by doing the general pressing work is that when they get stuck, they're stuck and it's not going anywhere um, because what they're missing is that ability to actually use their muscles and push through the movement. Um, so yeah, prioritizing those general pressing um, movements and keeping them in for longer generally. Mm. Okay, yeah, I agree. Um, next question. Ideal ratio of barbell to dumbbell benching uh during hypertrophy pays are they talking about how much of each to do or strength i assume how much volume yeah ratio i honestly don't know dumbbells are always weaker how much i don't know does the discrepancy matter probably not would that massive discrepancy tell me much about someone probably not in the absence of other information i don't know i think i think um as far as that goes, it's extremely individual. Also, it depends on how well you do your dumbbells. How many people don't take their dumbbells past the plane of their body? The worst. What are you doing? Like, just don't use a dumbbell. Ugh. Anyway, um, ratio As, of volume. Yeah, volume-wise, during hypertrophy, block probably one-to-one. One. Yeah, close. During a strength block, probably one-and-a-half to one. Maybe, I reckon, more two-to-one. Yeah, maybe, maybe two-to-one, yeah. Well, and then... Like, I put it like this. In a strength block, I wouldn't do more than maybe six sets of dumbbells in a given week probably but I'd be doing 12 plus sets of flat almost always so 2 to 1 would be like at least yeah right? okay and then during two a peak to, yeah 2 to 2.5 two to 1 and then during a peak probably 3.5 4 4.5 to 1 yeah if any yeah maybe dumbbell. even 5 to 1 yeah um, if any dumbbells at all oh actually could even go up to as much as 10 to 1 if you're doing 20 sets of bench and 2 2 sets of dumbbells basically in a peak astronomical difference in hypertrophy phase close to even yeah yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Steph Catter says, at Anthony Krizna is a champ at programming bench, especially for girls. Shout out, Anthony Krizna. Maybe we should do a programming the bench for girls episode feed, Anthony Krizna. We're, really, we're really squeezing all we're, the juice out of this lemon. Sure. Running, we're running out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, Jeff SX says, do you program shoulder stability work for beginners as separate exercises or just add to warm-ups? What do you reckon he means by shoulder stability stuff? Like pull-up arts and like push-up pluses and things like that? I'm not too sure. Um, I tend to program that stuff separately in general. And then when I like when I put exercises in someone's warm-up, I really hate the idea of people spending like 40 minutes digging around doing bullshit before they lift. I like to say like there's one or two things that actually help you. So do those things then to go do the main lift. But I do think shoulder stability work has places like has its place in almost everyone's program. 
So I'll have usually a couple of slots, maybe more across a week that are almost always there where I'm rotating different things in and out. And they're usually a variety of things like reaching patterns, possibly some stuff with an external rotation challenge as well, like a face pull and often some like upper back retraction work as well. Um, but I don't, I don't normally put them in the bench warm up unless there's something that is actually prescribed to help their bench. Like I don't think you should spend, I don't think you should do five exercises to get ready to bench. You should do like one or two things max. What do you think? Um, I like the idea that you just said of um, face pulls. Yeah. And I've, I've used these in the past as a warm up for bench, face yeah. pulls and pull aparts. Yeah. Um, but it's, I don't know if that's really a stability thing, more so like a sort of activation, I guess. Um, but I think the most important thing is to teach shoulder stability during technique and not rely on specific exercises to fix it because if you're not teaching it during the technique those little exercises that you do aren't going to help you when you go back to do the big technique yeah i've had a lot of people who had very unstable shoulders when they lay down to bench suddenly have stable shoulders when i like knelt next to them and put my finger between their shoulder blades and said pinch this and don't let it go while you bench and then suddenly they're okay yeah you know yeah so i think you can target some exercises and we've mentioned this um earlier feet up benching is is probably my favorite way to target it um you can use those sort of exercises to help with gaining shoulder stability but that's not the primary focus of doing that exercise yeah i agree with you um insta chad graham aka chad odzi says lol okay we'll go back to benching 200 so arrogant that guy (laughs) it will What's he got? He's got the world record under 77 at the moment yeah. at 190... 186 at 77, yeah. 186. Well, that's not even good. He's been like 190 plus in the gym, hasn't he? Yeah, 195, but he when he was fat. Doesn't matter. Stop underperforming on the platform. At least I'm shit in the gym and on the platform, Chad. And man. in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. You know, a total of like one woman can attest to that. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> None of them are listening to this. Yeah, definitely not. Um, all right. Let's go next. Um, Josh Christie says, if bench can handle the most volume and intensity, why does it progress the slowest? Because every increment that you add to the bench almost always is a greater percentage of your 1RM than it is for the squat and the deadlift. So even if your relative rates of progression were similar, you would see in absolute terms a lesser increase in the bench. There's other reasons, but that's a really important one. Alex, do you have any to add to that? That's the biggest reason, and with the two and a half kilo increments, it can often be that you're not getting a PB even though you have gotten stronger mm. um, between competitions. Um, but I think a huge reason why people's bench don't progress as far, um, and particularly for for guys, is that they start benching earlier in their lives, and they've mm. kind of exhausted those noob gains before they've exhausted their squat and deadlift noob gains, and then those kind of catch up. Yeah. Um, but also people's general shit attitude towards bench doesn't help um and one more thing is the bench kind of scales with body weight more than the other two lifts and yeah. people kind of re- limit their weight class too often and their bench will stall partly due to that yeah um i agree with all of those things and i would also add this is a suspicion not a fact but probably just because you have more capacity or most people on their frame so not the people with giant rib cages and wide shoulders, but most people probably have just a little bit more room to add more like absolute mass to their legs and are used to producing really high forces and doing explosive things with their legs more so than their upper body. 
and maybe that predisposes you to have higher absolute strength with your legs than your upper body. Not even, I mean, obviously higher absolute strength with your legs than your upper body, but maybe that predisposes you to be better at that in the longer term. But I think the main ones are the ones we've already said. I just suspect that's the case. Like everyone's used to jumping with their legs, kicking with their legs and things like that. And unless you did a throwing sport or whatever, um, you know, as a child, most of the stuff that you've done with your hands has been much less forceful most of the time. I think, but I don't know. What do you do with your hands, Will? <laughs> Clap. <laughs> All right, next. Hands. Come on, mate. That's that's a compliment if I've ever heard one. It's it's one hand. And <laughs> yeah, hand tweezers. Go on. Kato Potato eighty eight. What's it, what's Kate's last name? Kato Potato. I thought that was the gym owner at Lyft. Um, I actually don't know who. No, that that's is. isn't that your client, Kate? Oh, is that who that, that is? Today? Kate Drury. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's definitely her. No, I never knew. Okay. She says, What's do up? you see any di- any benefit to doing direct work on T-spine extension? Maybe. I mean, plenty of people lack T-spine extension and or rotation and would benefit from having more of it. So in that case, yes. It's not the first thing I would prescribe to people who are bad at bench, but if they don't have good T-spine extension, they don't, don't have good T-spine rotation, something like that um, and all their shoulder movement is bad oftentimes people will put that down to an issue with the thorax in which case doing some work to help it before your sessions will probably help but I think that's one of those things um, where if it were to be helpful you'd probably you'd be able to like in a test retest fashion see because like you could do some thoracic you could do some T-spine mobilization work and then immediately check your range of motion or your comfort in a movement. And if it was better, then you'd be like, okay, this is helpful. If it wasn't, then it probably wouldn't be helping. I think. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, you're going to get a benefit from being able to put yourself in a better position. Yeah. So it's obviously a good idea to, over time, try to do that. But I don't think it's going to be as high a priority as just doing your training. Yeah, and it might just be five minutes at the end of your session, or five minutes as a warm up before you get into bench. Yeah, but building a good bench arch is something that takes years and years. It's not something that's going to happen overnight unless you have like just a ridiculously flexible back, or you've done gymnastics in the past, or you've done like pole dancing, or yeah, I also, something like that. So I think being really, really uh, patient with building your arch over time is probably the the best way to go about it. Yeah, I also, I'd be interested what you thought of this. I don't really think that the only thing that contributes to a good bench arch at all is just your T-spine mobility. Like you need to have good hip and ankle mobility, but you also need good technique in assuming the arch and maintaining it when you bring the bar out. You need to actually have some congruency between your scapula and your spine. Like you need to do a whole lot of other stuff, not just the T-spine. So it's a bit bit narrow-minded to say that's the only thing to address. Yep. Yeah, you need to be able to move through the ankles and the hips. You need to be able to stabilize your legs. You need to be able to stabilize your shoulders. Yeah, shoulder stability and T spine ex- extension move work together. Yeah. So if you can't do one, you can't do the other. So again, like it's the full package. Just, you wouldn't isolate that unless that was like truly terrible and the rest was fine. Yeah, I agree. That next um, last one. These are good questions. I'm surprised how good they are. From Noel, do you remember Noel, weightlifter who used to train at lift mm. Filipino guy oh but I don't know I don't know his last name anyway good okay. bloke he says linear progression is very hard help true <laughs> <laughs> um, help 
Okay, start I need lighter. Somebody start. Not just anybody. You know that song by the Beatles? Help. Na, na, na. Help. <laughs> when I was young, so much younger than before. I don't really know how it goes past that. If anyone's still listening, <laughs> send Will a DM saying Please never sing Purple like Dragon. <laughs> no one's going to do Aiden, that. Aiden didn't send me one saying yeah. Purple Dragon because he Why obviously wasn't listening. Why submit a fucking question if you're not going to listen? Yeah, come on, Aiden. A, He's definitely not listening now again, so If anyone's him. listening, message Aiden Prosser Purple Dragon on Instagram. That'd be so funny. Imagine if you got like 100 DMs. That'd be great. Dragon. Everyone message Aiden Pro. I think it's Aiden Pro underscore. Yeah, it is Aiden Pro. Hang on, I'm going to get the exact thing. Um, linear progression is hard help. It's yeah, Aiden Pro underscore. Message him on Instagram saying Purple Dragon. Okay, you were going to answer the question properly. Yeah, I was. Um, linear progression can be really hard because I think most people start too heavy. Um, if you're starting with... like, I think the best way to look at it is to start with sets of 10, do three weeks of 10s and then go to 8s, do three weeks of 8s and then go to 6s and then go to 4s. And that's 12 weeks. And you could you should be able to add two and a half kilos every week if you start in the right um, at the right load. So if you start with tens at say sixty five percent and you finish with fours at eighty five percent, you should be fine. Yeah. And then you can start your tens again twelve weeks later, five or seven and a half kilos heavier than you started last time, and then you'll be able to repeat the same thing. I think that. But I also think it's a bit like what I said before, where every increment of load that you add is likely to be more for your bench than it is for the other things. Yeah. So that's worth considering. I also think that in the context of what I just said about the increments of load, you need to remember that your like progressive overload isn't just like, it's not the thing that makes you better per se. It's an indication that your prior training has worked. And so for you to do the same training loads Sorry, for you to do the same training session with heavier loads for bench, you need to have improved by, you know, whatever it is, two and a half kilos. Say you have two and a half kilo load increments available, um, which represents a greater relative magnitude of improvement than it does for the squat, right? So you need to get a decent amount of area under the curve in your training. Like you need to just spend some time, do a number of sessions before you're going to see that magnitude of improvement. And so probably resisting the urge to take your training from moderate to extremely hard really quickly will net you some benefit because provided that your training is stimulative, you are accruing gains just by doing it without necessarily adding a huge amount of difficulty all the time. Like you need to actually give yourself enough time to improve from the training that you do before you then impose a greater level of difficulty. And if you start heaping on the difficulty much, much faster than your rate of improvement, then you run into a wall. And that's why you think that linear progression is hard is because your the increment of difficulty in your training is probably greater than your increment of improvement. And so either having long cycles, like Alex said, where you start easy before you intersect with hard stuff, or being willing to back cycle, or being willing to just do the same loads for a while, or have like a threshold of RPE or volume or something per session before you add weight, any of those things will help you, provided that the training itself is hard enough to get you better because it's just going to slow down the rate at which you make things difficult until you've actually done enough to get better enough to be able to add more load and still do a similar amount of work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're trying to progress your bench press at the same rate that you are your squat or your deadlift, you're going to run out of room very quickly. Big time. So if you you try and add five kilos to the bar every week 
on bench by you know week fi- week five or week six, you're gonna it's gonna be some hard sets. Whereas if you do that for squad or deadlift, you'll probably be okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess when you take jumps in load each week, try to think of it as a percentage jump versus a load jump. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So you might add two and a half percent per week to your squat, your bench, and deadlift. Um. And that has to be of your squat, your bench, your deadlift max, not just two, not just two and a half kilos. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing I would add to s- add to my prior point is if like on the spectrum of exercises, there's things like the squat and the deadlift. Are you on the spectrum, Will? <laughs> I'm way off the spectrum. Um, if you like, you've got the things like the squat and the deadlift where you're like, okay, sweet, I'm just going to add some load because I did this last time, and that's enough to see you progressing for quite a long time on them before you add much complexity to your planning. Then at the very far end, you've got things like external rotations and lateral raises where like the first time you ever do an external rotation, you might use a two kilo or three kilo dumbbell and you'll be a long time before you go from a three to a four. Or like lateral raises, very few people do lateral raises well with more than 12 kilos, 15 kilos. Like you're a monster if you do 15 kilo lateral raises well, right? which means that when people want to add stimulus there, they think of things other than just whacking on more load all the time. They get some more sets in. They do a couple of more sets, like do more sets per week or more sets per session. They add some reps here and there. They do stuff like that, take some sets closer to failure before they add load so that they're still able to increase difficulty a little bit commensurately with their improvements in ability because they know that the, like, the amount of weight they add is, like, is a really significant change in the stress. Your bench some, sits somewhere in the middle of them, but it's a little bit more towards the lateral raise end of the spectrum, um, probably than your squat and then your squat and deadlift. Um, so sometimes you do just need a little bit more complexity and planning of progression, so that you can actually, um, so that you can actually sustain improvements week to week. Um, not full lateral raise level triple progression, but like just just being willing to put the brakes on and find another way to add difficulty instead of load can be helpful. Yeah, and the other thing we could do is change the exercise. Yeah, big time. So start off with something that um, we need to train light and then gradually build into stuff where we can handle a bit more load. Yeah. So a simple way to think about this might be you might go feet up, touch and go, then feet up, pause, then regular touch and go, and then regular pause. Yeah, and by the time you've done, by the time you've done that whole progression, you've had enough exposure to productive training that when you start actually getting back to the competition variation, the gains that you have accrued previously are the things that allow you to surpass your previous bests. It's not that you add five kilos in week three of that progression that means you hit a five kilo PB in week four. It's that you did however many, 15 weeks or whatever of training that was productive beforehand. That's what you've got to remember. Agreed. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, let's wrap this up because it's been a while. All right, peace out. We'll record with Mike on Friday and talk to you next week. Laters.